0: Welcome to School of Movies. (laughs) Winnie the Pooh and Wreck It Ralph.
1: Bluggity Blue! A simple hello would do. Thank you very much. There they are. Christopher Robin! I walk to I knew the pathway like the back of my head. We will have a contest to find a new tale for Eon. Is, Is this the place that I have been dreaming of? A oh, simple thing. Yes, well, the. The thing to do is issue a reward. Where's your tank? I beg your pardon? You're sneezed. No, I didn't. The word is issue, not at you. You must be catching a cold.
2: I'll probably catch it too.
1: Oh, bother. Perhaps I could borrow some honey, just a taste, a small lick, I should think. (laughs) Silly old bear.
0: This is an odd, sweet, sad little film. It was released in 2011, a year after Tangled, and a year before Wreck-It Ralph. Two very successful 3D animation blockbusters. It was crafted as an exercise in making Winnie the Pooh modern and relevant again, without dating the production by trying to be too trendy. So we're going to talk about how well they succeeded and what the outcome was. Uh, It's not going to be a long one, because it is not a massive film. It is 63 minutes long to watch. And with us once again is our special guest, Daniel Floyd of New Frame Plus. Dan, how much do you know about the actual pre-production of this? Because again, like Tangled, you got to dig a lot on this. What do you know about how it came into being? So very little.
3: You, you really do have to dig on this one. And I've, again, most of what I know of it actually comes from just second, like secondhand stories from people working on other movies. Uh, the guy who was working on Tangled described, like, in the middle of Tangled's just hellish nightmare production, he would look over across the hall or whatever <clears> to <throat> where Winnie the Pooh was going on, and it just looked like it was going so
0: darn smoothly.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was working on Winnie the
1: Pooh!
0: <laughs> and they're playing... Da, 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 da. And everyone's having naps. <laughs> <laughs> Carry okay, on. Yeah, it's,
3: it's very hard to find like behind the scenes information on this one uh it's directed by uh steven anderson formerly of uh director of meet the robinsons and uh don hall one of disney's old story veterans, and uh and they actually brought on a one of the original animators from the previous uh many adventures of winnie the pooh film as a story supervisor, yeah. uh, Bernie Mattinson. Yeah, he was who, the
0: story supervisor on the third segment because they they did them in three parts back in the day. Uh, Winnie the right. Pooh and Tigger Two. Yeah. yeah,
3: and as far as I know, he is—he's eighty-three years old, and as far as I know, he's still on staff. Like he has a story credit on Big Hero Six and
0: Zootopia. Oh wow! Yeah, that's. That, that's something I didn't know until I started digging. <laughs> but that's <heartening, laughs> it's very cool that they it actually is. get people back in. Didn't Andreas Deja work on Tigger for this?
3: Yes, actually,
0: this like
3: this film and part of why I, I just spoiler I love this movie and everything about it. But one of the reasons that I love this movie so much is because for such a relatively humble little Disney feature. This thing, this movie has an all-star lineup mm. of veteran Disney animators. Like, and since this is probably the last time I'm going to be mentioning any of them in this podcast series, I'll go ahead and let me rattle them off. I'm trying not uh, to cry. <laughs> uh, there's Mark Henn, who is the animator behind Ariel and Belle and Jasmine and Mulan and Tia- He did a lot of uh, princesses. And Tiana, he supervised animation on Pooh and Christopher Robin. Uh, Andreas Deja, the animator behind Gaston and Jafar and Hercules, is animating Tigger. Uh, Bruce Smith, a relatively newer guy who animated Kerchak and Pacha, and Dr. Facilier animated Piglet, which is a big change of character for what he usually animates pretty big guys, big or uh, uh, sinister characters, so him animating Piglet is just great. Uh, the legendary Eric Goldberg, uh, animator of Genie and Louie, and that Rhapsody in Blue sequence for Fantasia, mm-hmm. is uh, animating Rabbit, and you and you can tell yeah. <laughs> when, if you look at Rabbit's animation. Uh, Randy Haycock, the animator behind Clayton and Prince Naveen, is animating Eeyore, and Dale Bear, the uh, guy behind Simba and Isma and Ray, is animating Owl. Like there is so much, like Disney Renaissance talent packed into this movie and i love that they all like if this is the last time we get to see from any of them on in a disney feature i'm glad they got one last gang up hurrah on this movie because they they really bring their
0: a-game
4: it it feels like a goodbye to me and they the we watched the trailer for it and it's after seems, it had
0: finished yeah. the last thing we did um
4: but it it seems to have been I don't know if this was really how it was marketed, but that trailer really gave me a sense of um, they're saying goodbye to this animation style.
0: That's weird, because when I saw the trailer the first time, I was like, oh, they're bringing it back. They're actually going back and and doing something. They went went out of their way to uh, emulate the original being from the Xerox era, Mm. and they've made it look even, like, the best it ever could Mm, with with modern-day technology, but following that same pattern, that Mm. same style. But
4: if you Mm. look in that trailer, the text says new beginning, the music says goodbye.
3: Yeah. Ah, it's heartbreaking. Mm. I will say, though, like, and and I guess this is sort of getting to a concluding thought really way before we're there, but all (laughs) the same, like, if this is... Where Disney's legacy of hand-drawn animation does end, and I think I said this on Princess and the Frog as well, but I'll say it again: I am so happy that it gets to end on a beautifully sincere and warm, lovable note like this, and not at sort of the sputtering out, like just Home falling on the apart. Range. Like, yeah, not at Home on <laughs> the Range. Like, I didn't, ha- I didn't hate Home on the Range. Like, I thought I was going to, but that's still not where, like, this hand-drawn animated legacy deserves to end on a good note and Mm -hmm. on a winnie the pooh film which is not what i would have guessed or even necessarily picked is does somehow feel like a nice fitting like sincere note for that legacy to end on if it has to
4: and especially as well the idea that it was a nice I, relaxing may be the wrong word to use for the process of making an animated movie, but a, 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 a more calm, less fraught, less "Jesus, we have to make some money out of this, otherwise it's all going down." Seriously, um, sense yeah, to it. You know, it, it sh- those animators have been in this business for so long; they they deserve better than to have to deal with that and you know deadlines that are stabbing you in the back of the neck and etc um for their their kind of last piece so if that's the case then i'm i'm very glad that that, that was it
0: and Absolutely. also
4: does that then tie in with the fact that they're now doing this winnie the pooh live action movie
0: the- let's save that one because obviously that's that's a, a noteworthy thing okay. to to discuss but um because that that's that's really how we're going to sort of lead on to talking about the future of mm-hmm. of Disney and how they're going to what is going to replace this 2D animation speculate if you will why this did not do fantastically because there are a number of contributory factors a number of things we can infer and a number of things which are statistical
3: there are a few different it feels like there are a few different categories of answer to this, all of which I think are true to a point. There is the just kind of cold marketing wisdom that says that 3D films are what audiences want to see right now and 2D films are not, which is why 2D got like, if you look at the trend just as cold, hard data, that seems to be an objective fact like around from 1995 onward, the trend just continued that way. And there could be a lot of different reasons for that. Like for the quality of the, fi- of the films being put out, like a uh, Pixar putting out their strongest stuff, uh, DreamWorks coming in with more trendy, unexpected uh, subversive stuff that everyone kind of got into. And the Disney uh, feature quality starting to dip a little bit here and there and falter uh, like that could all play into it too. But if you just look at it as a marketing market trend, 3d films do gangbusters, traditional hand drawn films don't and that pattern seemed to hold true so there is that factor there is the factor that the Winnie the Pooh franchise itself even though it is like one of the big merchandising tent poles for the Disney company and has been for a very long time it's if you look to uh like uh young like merchandise for like children's clothes and babies and stuff like that Winnie the Pooh is like their big the biggest Disney a merch category there but uh they'd also released a number of films some theatrically and some straight to dvd and i th- i haven't seen most of them but my understanding is that the quality on them dipped a bit and so they may have kind of burned a little bit of the of winnie the pooh's film uh reputation there slightly uh, that's a bit of speculation but that that's would be my guess and the last, and I think actual reason, is that they released this the same weekend as Harry Potter and
0: the Deathly Hallows Part 2, which I don't know why they did that. It's baffling. Like, they they must have known. They must have. I, I can understand Home Alone, they did not expect that to be huge. They, they put out their mouse film. They had just done The Little Mermaid, and they were like, oh, so people like this now. They aren't really into the mice I think they knew that kids would not be flocking to the last of the mouse and dog and cat films. Which, interestingly enough, the Winnie the Pooh, like the original one, came out smack bang at the sort of be, like the the beginning of that era because it had been no like middle of that era because it started with Dalmatians. And yeah, but I can understand that they wouldn't expect Home Alone to suddenly because it was a totally unproven thing. Like kid foils burglars you you hear that you think the actual slew of home alone imitators that happened after home alone where it was always kids versus adults throughout the 90s and they're all rubbish you still might expect the rescuers to do all right however this cost 30 million and it made 50 million so at least it didn't tank That 30000000 million isn't much, and I've already said that Disney could easily do this sort of thing, just on the side, just to keep it alive. I'm not going to lecture you guys on that anymore. You've heard me. You know that that's the case. But when Harry Potter 7 Part 1 comes out, and you've got your release date there, and it says, when's the second Harry Potter one coming out? Because... You only know that that one's going to be maybe the highest. So, like, what possesses marketers to go, yep, keep Winnie the Pooh right there, as opposed to bump it, bump it to February. You know, like, just move that thing forward, wait until, like, because there's something about the market and the audience for this, which I don't know whether the marketers who or the, the whoever decides where it's going in the block who they were thinking were going to go and watch this, it feels like they were just assuming teenagers, families, and everyone who loves Harry Potter, which is mostly everyone, even people who don't like Harry Potter went to see that last one, yeah. <laughs> just to see it finish. <laughs> like, oh, come on, wizard boy, I got better spells coming out of my ass, Just to see it finish. And I think they just assumed mums with toddlers... And that's it, would come and see this Winnie the Pooh. And it was a self-fulfilling prophecy, because that's the only people left. Mm. Because if everyone else is going to see Harry Potter, you can't bring a toddler to Harry Potter. You can try, but you're a terrible parent.
4: Teenagers aren't going to go and see Winnie the Pooh at the cinema. Well,
0: you're not that terrible. It's... I took a toddler to see The Avengers, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Did she still
4: count as a toddler at that point?
0: Oh yeah, she was three um, She was toddling <laughs> The
4: uh, Loved it though, yeah. loved the Hulk Teenagers aren't going to go and see the Winnie the, uh, Winnie the Pooh film Because Ever. Winnie the Pooh is integrally Oh for God's sake, that word's going to kill me tonight It's integrally <laughs> Winnie the Pooh is integrally linked now With their baby siblings
0: Yeah Yeah I, w-
3: I wonder if that was the gamble that they were like that marketing was trying to go for like okay the harry potter films have been growing up over time like harry potter one versus harry potter eight like there's a different age range Mm. that is targeting maybe like the people who are not going to be taking their kid to see the much more like the pg-13 harry potter film If we give them a different... Maybe that audience will be there with nothing to do that weekend and that Winnie the Pooh will be the movie that they want to see that weekend. Like, maybe that was their logic. Like, this is not my area. I don't know. I'm guessing.
0: Mm. but This is what I I mean about the inferring.
4: I'm thinking, you know, parents with
0: toddlers
4: who have absolutely zero interest in seeing the latest Harry Potter Potter movie, I don't think the cinema is their idea of a good day. I'm trying
0: to think of the last film that actually kind of... that was a huge, roaring success with just the mums and babies crowd. Mm. By and large, the mums and babies go to mum and baby screenings, which are cheaper because you're sat with a bunch of babies all all screaming. Mm. Um, That's a fair point. Was there any... Even... If Harry Potter, the Harry Potter film wasn't coming out that
3: weekend, like, is there any way this would have actually, would that have even made a huge difference?
0: Yes. I don't know. If, and the if is a huge deal. Because this film doesn't conform to the standards of what animated films have been doing for the past 11 years before this. It's, or even the past 20, even. Bordering on thirty years before this, it's much like the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh—a sweet, inoffensive, episodic. Not like it's not even got the three-act structure that many adventures has. It doesn't have that. Like it, it might do, but like I didn't see it play out like that. There isn't that path that you would expect of an animated movie. And it's it's sweet, and it's got wit to it, which is really pleasant, and it's not taxing at all. And it's got it's got whimsy and it's it's got kind of a nostalgic look back. But the nostalgic look back is not weaponized. And when I say that, I mean what they do with Wreck It Ralph is wonderful and it is weaponized because they're deliberately going, hey, remember these guys? Huh? Yeah? Remember that? Remember that? Ready Player One <laughs> Is like all weaponized guns blazing. Hey, remember that? How about that? How about that? Did you see that? Oh, there's Chan Lee right there.
4: It's the nostalgia equivalent of the Ed Ed 2000.
0: Yeah. What this Winnie the Pooh could have been is something that I suspect the Christopher Robin movie is going to be, which is to actually take a look at what Pooh is, what Winnie the Pooh means to an adult. What was I watching recently? That's just it's big. The Tom Hanks film, Big. They Mm. didn't realise this when they made it. But now in 2018, kids who saw it then and are now way older than Josh but can look back on their childhood and their adult lives, watching Big is a whole different experience. Mm
4: -hmm. Because now it's, I was Josh as a child. I now have the job and the apartment and I haven't got a clue how I got here and I feel like I'm Hunted. 13 and I don't know what I'm
0: doing. I've got the Josh as a child as a child now. <laughs> and so, Big obviously isn't weaponised in that regard, but there are some movies now coming out, quite a lot of them actually, which take that sense of looking back and, and make it kind of painful and And take you on kind of a roller coaster, I suspect the Mary Poppins film will do this as well mm. um it, It's possible that had Winnie the Pooh really got out of its way to be something that wasn't just a sweet replication of that original, it might actually have snared an older audience who were who did want to go back and actually were like, oh, "Okay, so Winnie the Pooh is now playing in my my area." There's a reason that the Transformers films made a billion dollars. And it's not just because of the skyscrapers smashing down. Because they're putting the Transformers in an adult situation. A very adult situation a lot of times. They're talking about wanking. (laughs) If they'd turned up... That's adult. If that Michael Bay first Transformers, everyone had turned up and been totally earnest, like the 1986 movie, and it's like, Prime, every time the Decepticons come around here, my circuit sizzle. In our fire and hide. And we'd just stayed with these sort of like fun, wacky Autobots the whole time. And it had been really earnest. I don't think that we would then have the billion dollar franchise that then stemmed out from that. Mm. Because it would have been... Transformers to kids being then pitched to adults who didn't want to be kids anymore. They wanted to be adults. And at the same time, they want to watch Star Wars and feel like kids, but they're adults. And now they can't read films, but they want to feel like kids and they want to feel like adults. And they don't know what they want.
4: <laughs> I think there's, there is a very significant reason why this, uh, this weaponized nostalgia thing is so significant for our generation. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is because we are effectively...
0: Millennials, specifically.
4: uh, I would say it's Gen
0: X. Tail end Gen X.
4: Tail and Gen X onwards. Um, But if you look at the fact that... If you
0: watched G.I. Joe or Transformers or ThunderCats or Turtles.
4: Prior to us being kids in the 80s, there's a very definite line between childhood, adolescence, adulthood. They are very distinct and separate states. I mean, the the adolescent state as a target for media production was very new. It had only been around since the 50s. But we were the first generation whose childhood was captured on media that we still have access to. Prior to us, people could forget their childhoods. They could rosy-coloured spectacle it because it was something that had happened way back when. And apart from the odd you know, 8 millimetre family film.
0: We just played stickball it, outside Old Man Wiggleby's sweet shop.
4: Well, indeed. <laughs> but you, you haven't got that constant end-to-end reminder of what your childhood yeah. was and what went on in it. We do. It's everywhere.
0: And more specifically, maybe Winnie the Pooh was not for that generation's childhood. Mm. Maybe, I mean, not enough of our gen... Really watched that Winnie the Pooh when we were younger. I mean, apparently, um, uh, uh, like I said back when we did the original Many Adventures, uh, some Brits consider it to be Americanized, and, and they're like, well we didn't like Winnie the Pooh because it's not like the books." Okay, um, but but it came out in the the seventies, the early seventies, and they were being made when Walt was still alive, and it's possible that maybe grandparents grew up with Winnie the Pooh and they might take the kids.
4: Yeah, there you go. That's your market. Grandparents, that's it. Grandparents taking the very little Uh, children while the parents take the older kids to see Harry Potter.
0: But even, even honing in on things which people definitely loved, the most recent Ninja Turtles movie tanked the, the the second one of the Michael Bay produced mm. ones and that was actually all right yeah. it wasn't great you, but
4: there, there's there's a sweet spot isn't there between the things people used to love and things people will accept you changing
0: yeah and but, uh, the most recent Transformers film as well that that whole billion dollars per thing just kind of fell off for the fifth one it was just like
4: because it's shit
0: it, that didn't hurt the third one or yeah. the fourth one or True. the second one. Mm. Or most of the first one. Yeah. I think
4: Dan was going to say
0: something. Dan,
3: please say uh, something. Like I, I am happy that this film was not like, the trend, the fan servicey trend over the last decade or two has so much been to take what we loved as kids and grow it up and serve it to us again as adults. And I mean and that has been fun sometimes, but like I don't know that Winnie the Pooh handles that transition as a property, but I do wonder because I mean, I may be This may be nothing, because I haven't seen the film, so I can't... I'm more asking y'all if you have seen it. Uh, The Paddington
0: films that have been coming out, which I've heard wonderful things about. They are...
4: Amazing.
0: Fantastic. The Mm. second one is even better than the first. Wow. Okay, yeah. I I clearly need to watch these. Yeah. Mm.
4: Heartwarming, literally.
0: And there was no toxic Paddington fandom coming out of that and going, (laughs) that's not the Paddington I remember. Absolutely. They've nerfed Paddington. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there was no toxic winnie the pooh fandom either notably yes,
3: yeah but like the way that the paddington films take the property and put it and put it to film do, do those films seem like things that have been tried to to be aged up to the audience that loves no. paddington or does it feel like it has stayed true to this no, is what paddington always was
4: it feels like it's for kids now
0: Uh, It feels like it's for families now. It feels like it's for kind, warm families who want the world to be kinder to each other. Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so... It's like a warm blanket. (laughs) I I look
3: forward to watching that. That, I I could could use warm blankets sometimes, and that Mm. sounds very, very good.
0: We're going to do some shows on those, I think.
3: This film does feel like they're going for timeless. Yeah. In the feel. Like, they're clearly not trying to use so much new technology and new animation tech that it feels like completely out of time it it does there are not jokes that feel uh contemporary or new or modern there's certainly no referential humor in there that i can catch it is very much trying to capture the feel of just like let's make a sequel to the many adventures of winnie the pooh and make it feel about the same Hmm. except in many ways i feel like they've i i don't i've had a hard time pinning down exactly what it is but this incarnation of these characters, I adore. Oh, yeah. That I laugh at the the this incarnation of these characters a lot more than I
0: did the original film. Like there are some great jokes in there, definitely. The, uh...
3: Like 2011 Winnie the Pooh is adorable, and I love him. Like lines like "I have but very little brain, and long words bother me." Sort of, that sort of, <laughs> and that expression he has when he says it, like. Pooh's simpleness is played for adorable charm and laughs in a way that they didn't quite use Winnie the Pooh before. Hmm. And, like, Rabbit's entire sequence of trying to, con- like, explain to Piglet, please throw a rope down so we can get out of a pit,
0: and yeah, it was, played it, for
3: such a wonderful gag.
0: This is the scene where Piglet has to get the rest of them out of a pit, and he only has one rope, and decides... Because he's got to get all of them out, that he has to cut the rope into six individual pieces.
1: And six there, and now you can all get out. How very thoughtful you are, Piglet. Oh Good grief! Tie them together, Piglet. Can you tie a knot? Uh, I cannot. Ah, so you cannot. No, uh, I cannot knot. Not knot? Who's there? Poo? Poo who? No! Poo with... Piglet, you'll need more than two knots! Not possible!
2: Ah, so it is possible to knot those pieces.
1: Not these pieces! Yes, not those pieces! Why not?
2: Because it's all for knot.
1: Oh dear, I can't tie a knot. Oh, but there is something I can do. Don't worry, Rabbit. Piglet's very clever. Yeah, I can tie a bow. See, oh, for crying out loud piglet.
0: like it's almost Shakespearean in its witticism. i <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to overstate it, but it does have that kind of the the, the, the wittiness of it. Uh, it's if it was like that the whole way through. Again, I think that that would have um, uh, really scored highly with audiences. The the, the bit with. Um, Where owl flies piglet out of the pit and then flies back down, and they all (laughs) stare at him after he gives a speech. And uh, it's again, that's it's working with an audience who are smart enough to get the joke without having to spell it out to them. Mm. And it's very gentle as well. Like you know, it's it's not grabbing you and shaking you. There's no screaming in this, which with Tigger would have been possible. Mm. Yeah, but there isn't.
4: It doesn't have. Would it be ridiculously unfair to call it the Minions effect? It doesn't have the fact that they are aware that their audience of children find it difficult to concentrate these days. And so the best way to deal with this is, of course, to have a very brightly coloured object flying backwards and forwards across the the screen, changing directions as many times as possible. Yeah. Um, Which is... Really one of the worst ways of trying to keep your audience engaged because you're just going to lose them next time because that's not novelty anymore.
3: Quiet and gentle do seem like good. It does have a gentle charm and appeal to it. And it and they stay true to that despite what
0: the tendency in children's media might have become. The trailer is actually more powerful than the film uh, for me. The uh, it's uh, y- because you've got these wonderful characters um, appearing, much as they did back then, and it plays a song by Keen. So that's a pop song from. It's not contemporary. It was from uh, you know a good um, six or seven years beforehand. But it's it's a, a song you listen to as an adult. So you're seeing the things of your childhood with music that you've dealt with as an adult playing but the thing that really got to me it's got a, just a balloon floating across the uh, screen across the hundred acre wood and it's these beautiful painted backgrounds that you know part of your your animation know-how tells you that the the, the backgrounds are there and then the uh, characters turn up and that they interact with each other and then they will bring out objects but that those are the things that interact with each other but the, the backgrounds are static and then the balloon goes across Owl's house, this beautifully painted treehouse, and it nudges the doorbell, which rings. And this little bell from the background moves. And it's just a little bit of... little touch, little moment of... Did not expect that to happen. A little magic, and... That really got to me. This assumption yeah. that everything in the past is static... That's a good observation.
3: I'd not I'd not noticed that because in in old animation tech that bell would have looked like more foreground somehow. It would have been simpler because yeah. they didn't have wouldn't have the tech then to make that bell be rendered in the same way as the background
0: is and st- but still move. Yeah. Mm. And there is a uh there is a power in taking your assumptions as an adult because you've learned so much about the world and going we can still surprise you in a nice way, and having that not be weaponized in a movie, I really appreciated that, yeah, and it's just a little thing, and more of that in the film would have been fantastic. I mean, frankly, just the amount of interaction they have with the book itself that's around them that was always part of the many adventures narrative is that you were being presented with this book that they were occasionally you'd like zoom out and they'd move off the page or like who would cling to the letters as he's climbing down and the letters like fall into their laps at one point in this and they start playing with the cue it it makes me sad that this didn't get a big reception
3: i i'm not surprised it didn't but uh i i just i want more people to watch this like if any, any anybody listening to this, like, if you have not seen this at some point, I urge you to just find it. Maybe it's on Netflix somewhere. Maybe it's on just YouTube for a few bucks. Like, just find it. Sit down and watch it today. It will it's barely over an hour, but it is utterly charming and calming. Like, if you just need a chill, gentle like, a uh, good time, this is a lovely little Disney film, and a, I think a great little farewell to Disney 2D if this is indeed the last we see of it.
0: Wreckit Ralph.
2: My name's Wreckit Ralph. I'm gonna wreck it. Thirty years I've been doing this.
1: I can fix
2: it. It's hard to love your job when no one else seems to like you for doing it.
1: You're just the bad guy who wrecks the building. I'm okay. I'm okay.
2: If I'm really honest with myself sure must be nice, being the good guy. Ralph, you are bad guy. But this does not mean you're bad guy. I don't want to be the bad guy anymore. Ralph abandoned his game.
1: Welcome to Game Central Station. Shh. Bad guy coming.
2: Everything changes now.
1: Where's Ralph? <gasps> sorry, q It's me, Ralph. Ralph's gone to hero's duty? Fear is a four-letter word, ladies. If you want to go pee-pee in your big boy slacks? Keep it to yourself. Hi, mister. You're not from here, are you?
2: Sugar Rush? You're game jumping? Hey. Aha!
1: You wouldn't hit a guy with glasses, would you? Aha! You hit a guy with glasses. That's... <laughs> well played. Without Ralph, we're doomed. They're gonna
2: pull our plug. <gasps> What's that? A medal. I earned it in Hero's Duty. <sighs> it's not that kind of duty.
1: I bet you really gotta watch where you step in a game called Hero's Duty. <laughs> Some nights I stay up cashing in my battle.
2: We can't change who we are. You can't mess with the program, Ralph. <laughs> Some nights
1: I be. Everyone here, here night says night I'm just a mistake.
2: You ready for this? Oh, what do I scare? not leaving you here alone. Well, let's close out with the bad guy affirmation. I am bad. Ah! And, and that's, that's good. good. I will I'll never be, be good. No, 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 and that's, that's not, not bad. Hold that thought. There's, there's no, no one, one I'd rather, rather be than me. than me.
1: Hey! Why do I fix everything I touch?
0: If you've never yet seen Wreck It Ralph, do yourself a favour and track it down in high definition. That's a pretty much a like. If 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 you got anything modern, like I, I would say that to see it in SD would almost be worse than to never see it. Now, like that, that that's not me being a snob. That's me having a serious beef with low resolution now. Like, it it, it, it it, not only fails to muster a film's qualities, it in fact diminishes the films. So I, I almost want to throw away a thousand DVDs that I've got in my collection. Like, just get out of here.
3: I mean, these films are now being made with high definition in mind Bingo. and being assumed as the standard. So, like, there is detail be- that they know they can afford to work in there because they can probably assume that the vast majority of their viewers are going to be seeing it that way, so... <laughs> yeah more than ever
0: but uh, almost all the disney's that we've uh, we've covered um they i would say almost all of them are worth finding in hd if you can good luck with the black cauldron uh, and mm-hmm. uh, and tracking down and actually watching on on the best you know you know a beautiful tv because they hold up like crazy like a 70 year old film with snow white actually still does look beautiful today that yeah. is Unlike most of the, the old live-action films, which uh, just would not appeal Part visually. Part of
4: that is I've noticed of late, and I don't know whether it comes from watching so much behind-the-scenes stuff as we have, um, of all the people working on the the actual cells, you know, all the, the mm. sketching to begin with, and then the line drawing, and the sitting there and painstakingly painting it all onto the, um, the actual You frames. can
0: see the work.
4: I can see the paint. I, yeah. can, I mean, you can't, yeah. but I can almost see the brushstrokes in it—the the care and attention and um, and love and dedication mm. that went into crafting them. Um, they they look like pieces of crafted sculpture almost.
0: And they are thus deserving of a presentation that befits them.
4: Mm, absolutely. And that's
0: a unique benefit that, anim- that these animated films
3: get too, because like mm. you look at an older film that gets restored and released in HD and some of the artifice starts to show in a mm-hmm. less arguably less appreciable way. Think like effects that kind of worked at lower yeah. definition suddenly look a lot more fake and kind of weird in high definition. But mm. with these with these old movies, the f- like being able to see a little bit of the craft underneath just makes them all the more interesting and impressive.
0: Yeah. And if you've grown up with those uh, images, uh, just it's it's a, it's an emotional engaging experience just being able to see them beautifully realized. I think we've mentioned before the Disney view thing with um the older uh films when they were released originally in what we would call full screen or that square uh, yeah, yeah. the, um, the, the Disney view puts in these sort of beautiful curtains, these borders, which are, which change with, with what, uh, parts of the film you're watching. And they give it that, that it is more relaxing to watch something that is oblong than it is to watch something that is square. They didn't work that out with TVs. It took them many, many years to be able to watch, uh, one of the old films with, with that just sort of allows you to relax your eyes and just sort of appreciate what you can see rather than being kind of uh, like feeling like you're boxed in okay so speaking of being boxed in we are (laughs) wreck it ralph stuck in his box we are going to be quite philosophical on this one there are dozens of youtube videos which can tell folks every single easter egg that you can find and we are wasting our time and yours doing that in a non-visual medium so it's pretty much business as usual for us we go deep or we go home Clearly, this is a very visually distinct film from the style of the previous 3D Disney movies, which, let's reel them off, Dinosaur in 2000, Chicken Little, Meet the Robinsons, Bolt, and Tangled. I'm going to go to Dan on this one, because he's kind of the expert. Um... (laughs) What can you tell us, Dan, about the uh, animation and design of of this one? What does make it distinct from not only the previous Disney 3Ds, but uh, if you can spot things which make it distinct from, say, the output of uh, Pixar or the output of DreamWorks or Blue Sky Studios, by all means, note those uh, qualities.
3: The thing that makes Wreck-It Ralph uh, aesthetically interesting in general and probably a much bigger aesthetic challenge for the designers is that They've got to feature several different game worlds, plus a sort of semi-stylized version of reality, and make all of them aesthetically distinct to where the people from each like game or worlds don't feel like they necessarily belong together, but that they st- do still sort of feel like they at least belong in the same movie. That's a really hard balance to strike. And uh, I am very impressed with not only how they look, like their visual look of each of these characters and worlds does all manage to fit together. But the fact that they also feature some wildly different animation styles based on the character and what sort of game they're from, and it still all looks like it fits together. Like, Vanellope moves differently than Calhoun. Calhoun moves differently from King Candy. Mm. Like, the, the Nice Landers in, uh, in Wreck- the Wreck-It Ralph game, just the little citizens are amazing, (laughs) the way they move. Like, that's... It it evokes the feeling of pixel animation while not actually being anything similar to how pixel animation looks. And that had to be, like, incredibly challenging to get right. Like, as simple as that their animation style is, I bet they were one of the hardest to achieve Mm. and make feel correct.
0: Because effectively what they're reproducing is uh, the tiny... the the pronounced motion of an 8-bit uh animated game from the early 80s specifically the sort of the nes era where d- if it was just a solid character stood there the way that mario originally stood there uh then there's no life to that but then when they started um you know when 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 mario jumps suddenly boom he's he's got something to him and uh like the various characters w- uh, uh, and npcs and things in in say Pac-Man, they've got their couple of frames of animation where they sort of you know they go to the left and then they go to the right, but it's got that like little bit of a bounce to it. Um, yeah, and the and so more like, advanced, the, oh, carry on. Sorry, no, oh, sorry, I was interrupting. You you didn't finish your thought. And the, the more advanced the arcade games come. I mean, the easiest way to tell the difference is Street Fighter. The original. If you've got hold of the the new thirtieth anniversary Street Fighter collection, you can just sort of go through the ages. That is a glorious experience because the original Street Fighter game is ass. But from Street Fighter 2 <laughs> onwards, you can sort of watch the, uh, the, the basic animations as they sort of, like, sort of bounce up and down. And then as it goes through, through the Alpha series and then through the Street Fighter 3, they've got that sort of wonderful fluid sort of up and down whilst they jiggle their arms in a sort of a fighting stance style, uh, which, um, Alex Hirsch had, uh, uh replicated. Perfectly in that episode of... I think it was called Just (laughs) Fight Fighters or something like that, episode of Gravity Falls, where a guy from a street fighter just sort of gets um, pulled into the real world. And Dipper asks him to stand still, and he's like, this is as still as I can stand. And he's doing that beautiful fluid up and down animation. (laughs) But these guys are from earlier on, where it was just like sort of up, down, up, down, and they've deliberately reduced the actual frame rate so that they kind of bounce from one place to the other without that kind of it's not stretch and what's it called uh
3: there's like squash and stretch there's a
0: lot of principles they are ignoring to make this to make
3: these characters aesthetically work yeah like pixel animation basic there's two ways you can animate an old like video game character there is just translation across the screen up down left and right where they just sort of move like if you imagine pac-man again yeah uh if you just took the pac-man character you can move him up down and left and right and that goes pretty smoothly you're just kind of moving the placement of the character on the screen the other means of animation is taking the individual sprites that have been kind of drawn up that are basically like individual drawing drawn frames of animation in a in a, in a film and just you can switch between those at will so pac-man will have an open like mouth pose and a closed mouth pose and as he's smoothly moving across the screen he's just snapping between those two poses <laughs> like to make him to make his mouth open and close it's the same way with mario like running he you're moving him smoothly across the screen but he's cycling between two or three different frames of steps just to, just across the screen and as soon as he jumps he snaps into the jumping pose and sticks there till he lands so there to try to replicate that with these 3d high resolution characters and make that feel right. They're basically having the characters when they move around, they're moving in a pretty smooth linear way, but their body what like, the poses their body is hitting are very they're just snapping from pose to pose mm. across a frame or two super quickly and it, co- and it even moves all the way up into their head and face and facial expressions there they their body parts move sort of individually very quickly and sharply to new positions and they don't move a whole lot. And they're like, they're just physicality in general is just very contained. It, it looks amazing. Like getting that to feel right must've been so tricky. Hmm. And I, and I can very much understand why they, uh, with the, the main characters in this film, no matter which game world they're from are brought a little bit closer to kind of the standard norm Pixar look a little bit. Like Ralph does not move like the, uh, nice landers do. Hmm uh vanelope moves a, like has her own little sort of adorable movement style and physical language, but she moves a little bit closer to the normalized look like I think all the main characters since they have to interact with each other are brought are made a little bit more cohesive in their style but then you look at some other random character like the uh pac man ghost in the uh in the support group, and as he talks and sort of moves his head, you'll just notice his body is moving either up down left or right never diagonal mm. just randomly just as he just sort of idles there because that was those are the only directions that those sprites could move <laughs> on those old <laughs> games and it's just like it's subtle little touches like that that suggest an understanding of the source material translated into a very sneaky subtle little nod in the animation itself and this and this film is full of little touches like that and i love it
0: mm. So, uh, speaking of the uh, the, the ghost uh, himself, we begin the film with Ralph at Bad anon where he gets to talk to other bad guys mostly from real video games, which is delightful now this is a support group in the style of i see originally I thought there was one well, that's like alcoholics anonymous but it's, it seems to actually be more uh, for the kind that's set up for people with low self esteem does that make sense yeah i think yeah. it's
4: the the uh title Bad Anon um, is a play on Al-Anon, which is for uh, family members and partners of people who have alcoholism. So it's about building your right. self-esteem to deal with your loved one's issues. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, my f- first question was because I'm, I've, like, a lot of what I'm gonna do here is throw questions out to you guys because that will generate much more interesting discussion rather than me blurting out what I feel about these things because a lot of them are, uh, you know, more ripe for debate than, than usual. Um, but this one I actually don't know the answer to. And that is, is there mantra, I can't change who I am, I must be happy with me, actually bad advice?
4: Yes with an and, no with a but.
0: Damn! Okay, give us the and and the but.
4: Okay, so, um, right, I can't change who I am, I must be happy with me, is um, it, it, the way that it's spouted is kind of superficial. It sounds like a cat poster. Um, and it's, it's there isn't room in the context that it's presented for there to be much exploration of it there and then. However, I think... That's what the entirety of the film is about, is exploring it and bringing depth and dimensionality to that, uh, that concept. Now, from a, uh, from a sort of psychological therapy point of view, um, I can't change who I am is not true. I must be happy with me is true. And one of the fundamental tenets of um, certain types of of counselling therapy is that until you accept and become happy with who you are, you can't change a damn thing. Because I mean, if you think about it in terms of of trying to improve anything about yourself, say, for example, you decide that you want to learn Spanish. The first thing you have to assess honestly and accurately is how much Spanish you actually know. It's pointless going into an advanced class if you don't even know how to say hello, goodbye, yes and no. So you've got to be able to be honest with yourself about who you are. And when you do that, you can then start picking out the parts of yourself that actually you are quite happy with because if you look at yourself as bad all over then if you start trying to change that what you're going to be doing is reflexively throwing out everything even the things about yourself that you like and there's going to end up being a dissonance that prevents you from making any cohesive and permanent change
3: I can't give you anything better than that (laughs) that's going to be your answer
0: (laughs) Okay, so um, so is this uh, entire film thus Ralph challenging that assertion?
4: Yes, yeah, and in fact, all of them, all the four central characters, uh, challenge this assertion in their own way. And the the my take on this is, and this is one of the reasons why Wreck It Ralph is one of my favourite Disney's, um, because as people who've listened to me talk about movies a lot will know, which I would imagine is probably most of you Um, the kind of films that I really love are the ones where you can take the characters as all aspects of oneself Mm. and break it down into the various facets of um, somebody and that you win, inverted commas, by integrating all of those parts and being able to move forward with all of them doing their job
0: so every film is a dream? Yes. Okay. Then we're in Red King territory. Then this one's a lot less uh, uh, philosophical. I'm not int- entirely sure it's a question, but uh, when Ralph asks, and this is in part of his challenge, "Would it be the end of the world if we gave the medal to Ralph for once?" When he's uh, challenging the Um, Gene pretty much drives Ralph away. He he, he uh, needs to. He tries to put Ralph back in his place, but the, the way he's talking to him. Is is ultimately disastrous, and he in fact, like if if you want to really look at what puts the world of Fixit Felix Junior in danger in 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 uh, Ralph, it's the Nicelanders' shitty treatment of uh, Ralph and um, making him doubly outcast because he he lives as an outcast and then he tries to appeal to their. The better natures and say well you know i'm an outcast but can i be your outcast and they say no and that puts the balance of the world at at, uh, at stake so let's look at the three central game parodies Fix-It Felix Jr. is most like... And then you guys chime in. <laughs> what does it remind you of most, and what have they taken their inspiration from?
3: Uh, Donkey Kong is, I'd say, definitely the core of what they're, of the, what they're trying to uh, mm-hmm. reproduce.
0: In terms of it being uh, uh, simplistic and uh, uh, about climbing levels, and having this giant, angry protagonist at the top absolutely like if you like didn't mario mario have a hammer in that game jump man
3: yes jump man had could you could get a hammer power up yeah. to uh make your way further up so, so yeah having a big uh having a big angry destructive monster at the top of a thing mm-hmm. that the uh blue collar every man guy has to uh has to climb a tower to uh to take care of only here I I do like the twist of having it rather than there just be a damsel up top that Felix is trying to save just Felix is just trying to fix the building (sighs) that Ralph keeps tearing
0: up.
4: Although from a psychological perspective, a fixer is just another word for a rescuer.
0: Ah, he's rescuing so he's, windows.
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, he's rescuing
0: the nice landers. So it's, all of them are having their home destroyed by Ralph. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you're right about the whole work, work a day, every man uh, in Donkey Kong. I never really thought that Mario is jumping on girders. He's at a building site. He's not trying to take Donkey Kong down on Donkey's home turf. Donkey Kong has come to... Uh, America or Japan and is trashing the place and it's up to this blue collar guy literal blue collar guy your
4: princess is in fact not in another castle but she hmm. might be up another set of scaffolding
0: side note by the way Sharon <laughs> um, the the girl in the pink dress that you have to rescue in uh, in Donkey Kong Pauline uh, became eventually the mayor in the new Super Mario Odyssey oh, nice. game. so she does she, karaoke and stuff yeah. she's awesome in Super Mario Odyssey I love that she's yeah. finally back and I, I, doubly love the fact. Well, I quadruply, octopoly love the fact that Nintendo are giving uh, uh, their princesses more agency and just something to do that's more than just kidnap victim. It's overdue. Yeah. Um, so uh, the second one, Hero's Duty. Had, uh, I mean, uh, this is uh, kind of more so than Fixer Felix Junior. This is a critique of question mark. <laughs>
3: I, I don't know that, how much of a critique of the cur- like, well current at the time trend and like hot, the hot thing in games was more violent, more hyper realistic shoot like war shooter games was but it is definitely feel like an observation of this is the this is the current new hot thing that the that an older generation of game character would feel utterly unequipped to deal with yeah
4: i think there is there are moments of critique within it um the first one being when the soldier comes into the bar mm-hmm. and Clearly, this guy is suffering from video game PTSD and uh, and PTSD and it's
0: PTSD he's... for laughs, but yeah,
4: mm, indeed. Um, and the the idea that that.
0: Repeating cycle of making your dudes go through this over yeah, and over again.
4: Absolutely, and and if if the right because eventually we are going to have to say it. Um, there is lots of observation in this film about toxic masculinity oh, yeah. and how it is expressed um, through media, and although there is, there are several characters who manifest various levels of it, Hero's Duty is like the pinnacle of where this is going. It is so intense and so aggressive and you can't get away from it and you're on rails through this world of be the best and, and fight the power and, and whatever it is that they say.
0: Fight the alien bug power, then when you're done, do it all again because yeah. it's pointless. It's Absolutely. a pointless, endlessly looping war.
4: Absolutely, and that is... is is. It's, it's parodic and it, it makes it really, really clear that if this is the type of toxic masculinity cycle that you are trapped in, it's doing you as much harm as it is everybody else.
0: It's got a little halo in there. Uh, it's got a little. There's a bit of Starship Troopers in there as well, which <laughs> With itself the bugs. Yeah, is, I is a parody <laughs> of. Um, uh, well, it's a parody of American fascism, which hurts like hell today. Mm. My God, watching Starship Troopers would make me make me feel really uncomfortable right now. And
4: specifically, it's a satire that often gets its satirical edge missed.
0: Yeah. Uh, the original book, I don't believe, even was a satire. It was uh, it was it was played straight, and it is actually just a fascist text. Oh, and Paul God. Verhoeven went. We'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another animated film, which we've never talked about, that uh, came out uh, around the same time as Starship Troopers was Ants, and there are some similar scenes in Ants with Woody Allen as Z, where um, soldier ants go up against these giant termites, and they get slaughtered. And it, uh, people, it came out, and everyone was like, "Wow, that's a really like up to the minute parody of uh, Starship Troopers," and they're like, "Thank you." Didn't actually realise that it was coming out. <laughs> it's just that Starship Troopers and Ants were honing in on the same thing. Let's send these guys, out, you know, out to fight an enemy they don't know anything about with jingoism. Is that what the word jingo is? Patri- like, it's where it's like patriotism. Yeah, we're yeah, you're using
4: weaponized going... patriotism.
0: Weaponized patriotism. Yeah. Weaponized patriotism, yeah. yeah, the heroes duty's kind of got that, although the, the, the bugs really are a genuine threat uh, in that there. But um, yeah.
4: The bugs, for me, because um, I was trying to work out what they represent, if you're looking at this as a sort of psychological construct, um, because they're too basic and um, purely destructive to be any specific set of behavioural problems or or mental health issues. They're not a shadow either. I think they are essentially just... um, the the danger presented if these things don't get addressed they yeah. will replicate they yeah. no,
0: will they're, they're, they're reproduce the, the, in your
4: children if you don't do something to try and It's good.
0: when he like they they tear open the uh, I can't even remember the exact scenario but like Ralph looks down and discovers there's oh, like, someone looks down and discovers a load of bugs have been nesting underneath Candyland mm, and Calcoun, that uh, Calhoun and they've hollowed it out and they've been festering yeah. and this is the let's look <laughs> there's some there's some shit at the heart of Candyland which which everyone's just left and they're leaving it to fester and, and it's about to explode outwards.
4: Yeah, And the idea that whatever they consume, they become. Yeah. Everything that goes on in your life will feed into the issues you mm-hmm. have. And if you don't know they're coming and you don't know how to defend and heal them, then they will get worse.
0: And while it's not a parody of the following games, there are definite elements drawn from Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty... Specifically with that, uh, uh, the bit where Dennis Haysbert's character comes out and all of those holographic dudes start saluting. It. It's got that kind of, like, uh, the score even uh, by Henry Jackman goes a bit Harry Gregson Williams at that stage. And Calhoun herself appears to be 9 tenths of commander shepherd depending on what kind of head you got on her. <laughs> uh, provided you chose Fem Shep who is the right Shep and uh the uh, and also specifically chose a Fem Shep who is not the least bit um paragon and is like really pushy with uh, with what she does. But uh, yeah, Calhoun's got got a lot of Shepard in there. And then the third one sugar rush.
3: Mario Kart combined with something... I guess Candyland. It feels like there should be something else I feel like that I can put my finger on that this game is, but it is very... It is a kart racer through and through.
0: What is Candyland? I feel like I was... Uh... It's, a,
3: it's an old board game that's basically just a... Uh,
0: oh. Uh,
3: fair- I've not played it in so long. I do not know if it's actually any good, but it's sort of just one of those roll dice, try to get across the board, draw little cards, get to the end. It's it's for young kids. Do you get oh, to eat uh,
0: candy?
4: Totally.
0: Not really. <laughs> what's the point then? Unless they have candy on some of the squares, what's the point? Yeah, Candyland is
3: really just the aesthetic. I think they're aiming to make uh, a world that is just saccharine, sweet, and adorable and precious to really, like, I think that really helps to drive contrast and not only between uh like uh, wreck it ralph and sugar rush but also just what is what is the polar opposite of hero's duty
1: mm. yeah well
4: if we're looking at the uh, the idea of masculine coding and feminine coding um sugar rush is like the most aggressively feminine coded thing it's all pink and sticky and sweet and um you know little, cute little girl hyper cute yeah
0: uh, yeah, honestly, we're looking like Google Images. They uh, just Candyland, and and please ignore anything to do with Django Unchained. But um, yeah, this board game version of Candyland. There's even like a candy king who looks stunningly close uh, yes. to that, and and all of the like I suppose NPC characters in Candyland. They, they look like strawberry shortcake characters. Uh, strawberry shortcake, if you were around in the '80s, was like a kind of a edible rainbow bright. Would that be? <laughs> and uh, yeah, but then there's a heavy dose of kawaii. Can anyone explain what kawaii is? <laughs>
3: Japanese for cute, basically, yeah. just uh, pulling from sort of the, uh, I guess like I, I want to say, just sort of an anime and inf- like an anime fla- specific flavor of cute that has sort of been infused throughout this, and all driven all the more home by having like uh, I think AKB48 singing the Sugar Rush theme song, just a J-pop yeah. uh, popular yeah. J-pop
0: band singing the uh, theme song. Yeah.
4: How big uh, can we make these eyes before they will escape from their heads?
0: Yeah. <laughs> It's true it's it's definitely a uh sugar rush is a game made in japan but uh organized so that it will have massive popularity in america as well it's not so japanese that there's kanji everywhere or um you know the, the, the bizarre stuff that you get in the mr sparkle side of japanese culture uh it's it's um super accessible for children it's le- it's maybe as you say a little bit too sickly sweet And yet, while it does have some Mario Kart flavour to it, there's kind of an art-imitating-life thing going on. When the Mario Kart on the Wii U came out, they gave it that candy level where it was like, look, if you're going to do us, we're going to do you, (laughs) but twice as good. And that is the most delicious of Mario Kart levels.
4: (laughs) Revenge. Ah, it's so sweet. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think the, the whole sort of, you know, this is the very, very girly... Um, thing that the, the people to whom the the call of duties appeal the most yeah. would loathe, um, or at least we will make them think they loathe it so that we can make sure we keep these worlds completely separated. Um, the and
0: two aisles in Toys R Us. Exactly. The,
4: the fact that Ralph is launched into Sugar Rush by virtue of the fact that he totally fails at everything on the list of ideal masculine qualities that... Keith Your masculinity fails off. now. Absolutely. It's he it's Dennis
0: Haysbert, not Sorry. Keith David. I
4: do apologise, Dennis Haysbert. Um, the uh, the list of qualities being rattled off by Dennis Haysbert, he fails every single yeah. one of them, and the result <laughs> is you have to go to the girl land now.
0: Oh, oh! It, do, you, do you ever hear of Ninja Dog Mode in Ninja Guy Den? Um, if you fail enough times at this hard ass beat em up they put a little pink ribbon on your uh, arm and it's like look, we're going to put it in a, an easier mode for you but you've got to wear the ribbon of shame wow. there's some toxic masculinity working yes. oh, overtime God. you all yeah. thought it was fun or just you know well humiliate me that's fine speaking of toxic masculinity I, I didn't mention this to you because I was saving it for this one when I got my hair cut the other day um, the guy was you know it's Uh, He was just working away. And then a little kid got got dragged in by his um, dad... And there was another little kid who was slightly older. And this little kid was grizzling. And the guy cutting my hair was shouting over his shoulder to this little kid. Clearly he knew this family. I don't know if they were actual family or just that this guy came in to get his hair cut all the time. But this little kid was grizzling. The guy cutting my hair was like, oh, oh, oh you're crying, you're crying. And like teasing him for crying. And, this, like that. And, and, and he was like, oh, only girls cry. You know that? Only girls cry. You know, he's a big girl's blouse. I was like, right, just mm-mm. It's really disconcerting when someone's got uh, like razor sharp scissors right close to your eye, and you want to say, "Could you just <laughs> knock it off for a second? I, I want to pass my the kid my iPad and go, "Look, there's an X Men comic. Do you want to read that for a bit?" Just rather than teasing the kid for crying, rather than goading them for being sad, distract them for a fraction of a moment, and just like say, say just not like super hyper focused on it. Like if they're tired and hot and hungry, and they've had enough, distract them for a moment, maybe get them a drink or something. Well, yeah, it's not what hard. The problem is. That's parenting. It's not hard to be up. a parent. Why the <laughs> f*** are we still teasing our kids for crying? Correction, it is hard to be a parent. It's easy, however, to not be a spiteful piece of crap.
3: Seriously, to utter the phrase, boys don't cry in the year of our lore 2018 is isn't like...
0: I mean, Wild. this was an old f***er cutting my hair, but like, you know, he's like, it's so gratifying that it is the province of the elderly to say shit like that. Mm. Sorry for swearing yeah. on this kid's show, folks, but just I, I'm, we're talking about some serious stuff here, and it just to, to, to curb our language seems redundant. So, so yeah, I, I was deeply uncomfortable, and I, I wanted to sort of reach out to this kid, but I couldn't get a f***ing word in edgeways guessing um,
4: you ain't going back there again.
0: No, I can't. I, they were my backup hairdressers. I went to uh, um, the, my main hairdressers and there was a note pinned to the door that said, Back in an hour. And I went,
4: In what context? <laughs> it will always be an hour from now.
1: <laughs>
0: Is it your or your? In what context? <coughs> so anyway... Uh, Toxic masculinity can uh, exemplify itself in a variety of uh, uh, forms, and I think we're going to do a show on it. We might even have already released it by the time you're hearing this. Uh, Anyway, there is a slight breakdown when we get to um, Sugar Rush because of the sheer amount of time that Ralph spends in it. It's like two acts, all of acts two and three, and it... Because they're restricted to this one world, and they're so dedicated to everything that's candy, being definitely candy, looking gorgeous and edible. They brought in food photographers to make sure that people would like want to reach into the screen, snap bits off and eat them like a Willy Wonka chocolate factory. Because of that, that's not a video game. <laughs> By and large, you don't want to eat video games. <laughs> Uh, it's it's more about an actual land of candy and it's almost distracting from the fact that this is a video game. It's not much of a failing of a film, but if there is a little bit of a weakness of Wreck-It Ralph, it is that they spend so long in Candyland. Continue.
4: There is a level in, I believe it's Mickey Castle of Illusion. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: oh, it's delicious. Where
4: it's all cake and chocolate and.
0: <laughs> yeah, James Pond 2 Robocod also had a chocolate level that okay. was Zool as well. I,
4: I played a lot of Mickey Castle Evolution Just because
0: you when wanted to eat kid. it. <laughs> and
4: yeah, I just played that level over okay. and over again. <laughs> right.
0: But one of the common factors of video games is not you want to eat what no. you see on screen. No, this is <laughs> true. Some video games, definitely yes, but not two thirds of video games. Well, i guess what at, I'm, at a certain t- point,
3: you have to select, like, the. But like the first 30 minutes or so of Wreck-It Ralph are not setting, establishing the plot and what's going, and getting, helping you get to know Ralph, but they're also like, that is when they kind of throw the most of their, here is sort of like how video games translates into this movie, and here is sort of like, here's your tour through video game world. Yeah. So, so and then the last two-thirds, the last hour is very much like, okay, here's the story we're actually telling here. And I mm. and I guess when one of your characters technically can't leave the Sugar Rush world you end up, that plot mm. contrivance means that you're stuck there for a
0: while. But, but they uh, they decided on that plot contrivance. Yeah, yeah. They, they they could have gone on a tour of a variety of video games and it could have been more of an odyssey, mm. which would have been more about video games and less about, here is the premise for the Act 1, and then here is the plot for Acts 2 and 3. Yeah, but
4: mm. part of what that means is that they they are, uh, they are stapled to exploring Vanellope's story. Bingo. And that is incredibly crucial, because apart from anything else, here's how you overcome toxic masculinity, you get in touch with your feminine side.
0: Yeah, and it becomes less about video games themselves and more about what it's about, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah,
3: which I think will like ultimately leads to a stronger film. That, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah that, there's... I was surprised, especially after watching just the trailer for Ralph 2, which has kind of just left, like, I'm i not going to talk about ball, it, but we'll see. I, I we'll, could we'll, I we'll, could we'll,
0: rant about it, but I'm not gonna because well, uh, yeah, another another time. Yeah, but uh,
3: I was wondering coming back to this film, like because I hadn't watched it in a while, just like how how much do I still like this? Was I did I just get really into this at the time because it was just like because it was just my favorite hobby, and they and this movie definitely does right by it. But th- no, like the fact that they are, I think something the director had said at a certain point. Um, what's his name is it rich Moore? yeah rich Hmm. Moore, who had got made a name for himself working like in tv comedies like futurama and the simpsons said at a certain point that uh if you're going to be subversive it has to be heartfelt and uh to me that like kind of suggests a kind of sincerity that at a certain point like it's to achieve that sincerity at a certain point you've got to stop going for the gag or the gimmick and actually be sincerely be trying to tell a story with these characters even if that means that the gimmick has to suffer for the like the appeal of the gimmick has to be kind of left behind for the that uh, heartfelt story to happen Mm. yeah
0: it's the stronger play the original book of ready player one for example will not let that gimmick drop The whole thing is about, hey, do you remember this? I remember this. I've got this all up in my head. I have the most knowledge. The film is less obnoxious.
4: (laughs) Indeed. And I think that that kind of brings us full circle with what we were talking about, why uh, video game adaptations are, by and large, fairly on the flop side, Hmm. um, because if, if they're focusing on the gimmick then they're not going to be a good film because a film can't use the same gimmicks as a video game. Oh. And if it's if it's replicating a really in-depth and involved story from a video game, then that story's already been told in the video game.
0: Mm. A lot of the time it just comes down to the fact that the video games they're adapting are themselves at least when they were originally published shallow versions of existing hollywood properties mm-hmm. that don't uh, you you then have to like push resident evil to begin with was kind of based on the romero zombie films and and like they eschewed the original game setup and, and delivered something that was sort of like proto matrix government conspiracy evil corporation Whatever the hell that that was going on there, and and it's like game itself wasn't all that strong, and you abandoned all of its strengths—the the the, uh, the claustrophobia, that the sense of you know minimal supplies, the isolation—all of those aspects of Resident Evil just abandoned for this cheap, shabby movie. Mm. I, I've never why that film is considered to be, oh, that was quite a good film. It is it is not.
4: Like I said, low bar. Yeah. <laughs> but, that, but yeah, I mean, essentially that means a video game movie is a snake eating its own tail.
0: But yeah, let's not um, get this bogged down in, in what other video game movies... It's not even playing the same game at all. No. Uh, but so yeah, it, it commits to its uh, premise and it, it starts to really get us into what's happening. Now, Bob Chipman said in his review of... Uh, Uh, Wreck-It Ralph that there are good comparisons here with The Nightmare Before Christmas which I hadn't thought of but uh, that's a movie that I have not liked for a long time and I'll probably explain why after I've asked this next question so uh, what is this film saying about the consequences of changing your own societally imposed role in challenging and breaking the system
4: So what I think, essentially, (laughs) Wreck-It Ralph is trying to say is that there is a you which is inherently you. And they actually have a few different ways of examining this. And it it seems like that that part of you um, is considered to be your code plus. So it's not just what you have been programmed to be because the people who've programmed you only see like the superficial side. They only see what appears on the screen. So they couldn't possibly program all the depths of you as well. So in Ralph's case, he's the bad guy. But he is not bad guy. Guy. And in Vanellope's case, she's a princess. But she's not a princess, she's a racer she is a princess because that's what she's she's coded to be um
0: felix jr is following in his father's fixing footsteps he was given his father's hammer and his legacy and told you do this
4: and there are times when that is not helpful oh why do i fix everything i touch Um, (laughs) which is a
0: wonderful reversal of why do i destroy everything (laughs) i touch
4: exactly um so yeah so there's there's this sort of
0: oh you've got calhoun
4: I didn't forget her, but go on then. What's her inherent her?
0: Well, I'm assuming her inherent her is somebody that uh, she would not want to show on the battlefield because... Uh, She has to keep it armoured and uh, she's uh, described by Jane Lynch herself as her heart is wrapped in barbed wire.
4: Mm, Absolutely. But this is I I love the way Calhoun's presented, actually, because her her true self, some people would say, well, her true self is her armoured battle self because she's protective and, um, you know, kick ass and all the rest of it. And some people say, well, no, but her true self is that sort of her wedding dress self and her soft feminine side. And, And you know what? It's a blend of the two. That's the whole point. You you. To be true to your organismic, natural self—the the part of you that is um, kind of your your gut version of you—involves having uh, restrictions being lifted and things not being imposed on you by the outside world. So that's what I think the that they're driving at: being the the real you is is your code plus whatever you make of it the um the societally imposed part of it is what the restrictions that are placed on them by other people so this is jean saying to ralph you will always be an outcast Ralph was coded to be the wrecker. He wasn't coded to be lonely. It's not in his programming to be isolated from everybody else. That's imposed by them. Calhoun's backstory says this terrible thing happened to her, um, but it's the fact that she's then got to go out and lead these soldiers through this fight, the bugs climb the tower, fight the bugs climb the tower every day, that means there isn't space for that wounded side of herself to come through um, which vanellope, is in itself
0: maybe a critique on the fact that video games make you focus so hard on the action and lean so into the the cycle of shoot hide grenade shoot hide grenade mm. that there is no room for like a, a character to even breathe
4: yeah yeah absolutely vanellope has been literally severed from the, the, her gut self and wrapped up in a box so that nobody can find out who she really is and unpick mm. um, the the reason why everything in Sugar Rush has changed.
0: And a lot of the time, that's fine. If it's a video game based entirely on function, you don't necessarily need to know Toad's backstory to go racing round a uh, Rainbow Road in in Super Mario, Mario Kart. Mm. Obviously, that's a bad suggestion because there are plenty of other games which, like Captain Toad Treasure Tracker, which might go into more of Toad's backstory. But just uh, ex- for example. There are some games which serve purely to present you with mechanics and they don't need to necessarily go into the uh, the depth of the characters. But that is exemplary of a lot of storytelling that, in fact, crosses many mediums that doesn't go beyond the basic mechanics that these characters are given to serve their purpose in the story.
4: Mm, indeed. And again, I think the idea of this, if you if you change your role and you challenge and break the system, there will be consequences to that. But if you look at, at their progression in terms of the hero's journey, it's all about going out to come back, finding out who you are, challenging what's been imposed on you externally, working your way through all of that to find out who you really are and then bringing that home to be a more fulfilled uh, version of yourself.
0: Dan?
3: I had a I had a question that is like related to this that we kind of brushed up against a couple of times but i like i haven't figured out for sure what i think about it and i'm curious to bounce it off of you too okay we mentioned at the start like from the start ralph is dissatisfied with his lot in life he's attending he's attending these group meetings with other bad guys he's occasionally kind of confronting the uh, nice landers because he's unhappy with his situation and we've kind of mentioned before that a lot of that unhappiness with situation isn't really him it kind of seems like the nice landers are just needlessly treating him poorly Mm. like like it seems like they should all just be like a cast on a stage that like that all shake hands and are buds as soon as the as soon as the curtain closes but you're talking about professional
0: wrestling
3: yeah Yeah, yeah, you don't go out
0: back and go off ultimate warrior Yeah, no, like, and maybe so. Like, he sounded like Ultimate Warrior was actually kind of a dude. Oh, he like, was the like, worst one I could pick. Okay, right. You don't go fuck <laughs> off Paul Bearer then, because he yeah, was really yeah. nice in real life.
3: Yeah, exactly. So, like, it, it seems like the the curtain closes and they're still treating the villain, the villain actor as the bad guy and being a jerk to him. By the end, the change, the visible change that I see in Ralph's life, isn't that... He has learned a huge lesson or changed his ways. It's that the Nicelanders came around and started treating him better, and he was and he and he was more satisfied. He probably would have been more satisfied either way, but like that seems like the big change that has improved his life and that the, he has a friend in the game across the uh, across the
0: uh, the aisle. But why do the Nicelanders start treating him better?
4: Because Felix does. Yeah. Because Felix has That's witnessed that. what Ralph is as a person and what he's capable of doing.
0: See, I, all I saw was just that Ralph came back just about the exact time that the game was about to be shut down and the game started functioning again better than ever and they were like, well, thank God Ralph came back and they were happy because their own skins had been saved. Mm. It's not so much that he saved the day as he went away and they all regretted it when he wasn't there. I
4: suppose, yeah, they did They did realise that he is a fundamental part mm. of, of their reason for being and that if he's not there then guess what the whole thing gets shut down but i i (laughs) right i have a question here because i don't know whether this is sheer coincidence Mm -hmm. that the guy who is saying to him this is your biological truth you cannot escape from it is called gene (laughs)
0: like it's your dna
4: to be this trash dwelling thing
0: I'm just going to mention The Nightmare Before Christmas because I don't think we're ever going to really talk about it because once I've said this, the film's kind of, not not broken or ruined, but just laid bare. The premise of The Nightmare Before Christmas is Jack Skellington, the king of Halloween, visits Christmastown, becomes enraptured by it, falls in love with a place that is not his own, and... Uh, wants to bring that love to uh, the people that he knows. He tries it. He's bad at it. They're all bad at it. They should be doing Halloween. They're doing Christmas. They mess everything up for everyone. Then he goes back to just doing uh, Halloween again, and everyone's happy because Santa Claus is back in town and doing the thing he was supposed to do. The twisted Halloween guy has taken himself out of the equation and stopped messing everything up. What kind of message is that conveying to children? If you're unhappy, kids, shut up and get back in line. No, no, no. You'll only mess things up.
4: Right, I don't...
0: Tim Burton, our hero, ladies and gentlemen.
4: I don't think that's the essence of it, but I do think there are two ways that you can read it, and one of them is a little bit dodgy. Go for it. So the non-dodgy one is that Jack is bored... And that by going out and doing something a bit different, he reinvigorates himself, Mm -hmm. gets to bring that injection of new ideas into Halloween.
0: Um, Does he, though? He doesn't bring anything new to Halloween. He just goes back and does the same Halloween again. It's not like... At the end, there's not a montage of them doing Halloween with a bit of a Christmas no, kick to it. but he
4: literally says, I just can't wait until next Halloween because I've, I've
0: got some new ideas that will re- really make him scream.
4: You don't have to see it.
0: Yeah, but be <laughs> I mean, it'd be expensive to animate. It, but,
4: um, but, yeah, I mean, it could be argued that that's like, you know, there's, there's the old Halloween, you know, from the from Europe where everything was scary and grey and mean and spiky, and this is the american halloween where everybody gets dressed <laughs> up and has parties and it's all wonderful which is kind of like we, we need a proof Christmas of that
0: santa. rather than just
4: okay reading anyway.
0: into that one song line
4: well the other the other alternative way of reading it is that jack is in a very unhappy marriage which he fixes by having an affair
0: with santa claus <laughs> <laughs> santa baby which i
4: think is possibly a bit like no, <laughs> that's not, not good advice. <laughs> and he really. goes back
0: to his uh, his Halloween yeah. wife.
4: Yeah. Okay. Indeed.
0: I mean, like he also gets Sally and just like notices this person who he's been not noticing for all this time. Mm. There's not much to it as a film, and I don't think that Burton knew what he was saying with what no. he was saying, and not just Burton. Obviously, Henry Selick who directed it. You know, lovely guy. I don't want to. Um, I think it's possibly just that the Hot Topic blowing it way out of proportion, year after year after year, so much merchandise and veneration. I'm nodding
4: here like I haven't got Nightmare Before Christmas bed socks and bag and mug and (laughs) wallet.
0: This wasn't like a political agenda I had about, you know, here is a a film which is being ignored, but no one ever talks about how great James and the Giant Peach is, and James Henry Trotter is a kind boy. Hmm. So... Yeah, another film by Henry Selick uh, in the, the same style. And apparently there's there's a, a, a new adaptation of both James and the Giant Peach and The Witches on the way. So Roald doll uh-huh. lives, it would appear. You could superficially say that Ralph goes away from his game that he's been wrecking, has a bit of a holiday, everyone freaks out and everything goes wrong because of his absence and because of his doing something different. Then he goes back and everything works out fine again. But there's so much more to Wreck-It Ralph... Than just that. Yes. I think. There's a a little Laffy Taffy Vines sequence, which feels like they're actually making a little statement. This is not a particularly deep question, but what do the Laffy Taffy Vines represent to you? Do you remember uh, um, Calhoun gets the Laffy Taffy Vines to descend and help them out uh, and throw them a rope uh, by uh, smacking um, Felix around uh, with slapstick style? and, And the Vines laugh.
4: For me, this is about Felix and the skills he has in any given situation. Mm-hmm. He can't use aggression and physical strength to solve problems because he doesn't have them and anything he hits will fix rather than break. So he has to use ingenuity to get them out of their particular
0: situation. I see. So is it Felix's idea just to keep beaming me on the head? Yeah. No. Okay, that's neat uh dan I, I get the feeling that you've got a thought on a thought on this that i, I did i've not had on it <laughs> so I'm curious. it's it's uh, it's a lot less um uh, deep than what sharon was getting at it's uh, uh disney taking a pop at uh, a lot of other 3d animated movies that get a lot of mileage with kids with just slapstick humor and bright colors and it's like we'll just keep beaming this guy on the head and, and won't you laugh at that we will thus get a hand up at the box office by resorting to these uh dark side tactics It's just one little sequence. Okay. (laughs) I feel like
3: Rich. Rich Moore is coming from The Simpsons and Futurama. I don't think he gets to take that shot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. But I mean, The Simpsons and Futurama have got so much more going on below the surface than the kind of films that I'm talking about. That they oh, they've got
3: got like they've got tons. But like slapstick is a tried and true and long term like making. Hurting Homer is the funniest thing, and continues to be the funniest thing. <laughs> and the and the people who worked on The Simpsons learned that very quickly.
0: I just uh, I was like, in my head, the immediate Homer image was uh, "ow, ow, the bees are defending themselves somehow." <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, it so was falling down the cliff twice for a long, ow, ooh, ah, uh,
3: ah, just and then back in the ambulance, rolling out of it, falling down the cliff again.
0: There is something to be said about the the uh, idea that maybe they leaned a bit too hard into that in the the later seasons of The Simpsons. I think uh, the the time when Homer was uh, rolling down a hill on an out of control cherry picker, getting hit in the head fifty times, and I was like, yeah, I've seen Homer get hit enough. And that was like nearly 20 years ago now. So uh, the, the, there is, I, I still believe that there is something in that sequence where they're saying, you know, like, we could just lean very heavily into this, but uh, let's, let's not overdo this one. We'll just have it in this one sequence. But then again, I mean, they're, they're doing that with Ralph anyway in the double stripe. Um, like the it is a masterful setup specifically for kids in the audience to see a, a grown up. Owned by a little kid during that section where she's like double striped it's, it's a way to get them to like a little stinker of a kid uh, Vanellope uh, and uh, you know to, to do that they have to score points off Ralph who we establish can get hurt and it's funny because he's not too hurt you know and
3: when you're getting hurt in like a saccharine candy land it's not, it does sort of yeah it's hard to take any of it seriously
0: it diminishes the bone breakage <laughs> back to calhoun does she function again i'm going to go with the critiquing here because it feels like a lot of these um uh moments in this film were a bit of a side eye for me and it might actually be a lot more earnest than i took it uh, for but um i mean you can have an earnest critique so does calhoun function as a critique on a certain type of video game character And if so, how does she break that type? And this relates to something you said one time in an episode of Extra Credits, Dan, uh, about how um, female characters are uh, best exemplified by how much they uh, apply to or break the conventions and confinements of the system they were born into.
3: I've been trying to think if there was a time, like, where does, if at any time, Calhoun... Break from who she is presented as, because even even after a good amount of time spent in in Sugar Rush, even when entirely by herself, she sort of remains that uh, sort of stereotype shooter game hero with a whole lot of like just a uh, swagger and like catchphrases, crazy idioms. And, um yeah and amazing idioms and uh but like it still feels like that's sort of hurt, like that's not something that she has to lose that is. It is her, but there is more to her than that, for uh, sure. Yeah, mm.
4: absolutely. I would say if she if she breaks that type, it's not so much a breaking as it is embracing all the aspects of her. So this tragic Max story that she's been coded with, mm. she brings that into who she is by uh, falling in love with Felix and putting herself back into the wedding situation. She embraces her, um, her kick-ass qualities when she rescues the citizens of... Sugar Rush and starts to, instead of getting everybody in and through and up the mountain, she's herding everybody out. So she's using similar skills, but she is able to adapt them and utilize them for given situations. And she has little flashes of, um, mostly around Felix. I will admit, but it, she has these little flashes of the slightly softer expression, and the um, the laffy taffy takes the Mickey out of her with the heart and the hmm. and the swooning.
0: Um, I think there's also a, uh, an acceptance of a different type of masculinity around her. That, like when she first meets Felix, he pretty much disgusts her, but she needs to be able to accept someone who is not a hulking super soldier.
4: I don't think he disgusts her. I think she, because he is a civilian, she disregards him. Hmm. She's she's He's not relevant to her world. Um, and she, her determination is to go out and deal with this problem by herself. I think her first kind of leaning towards, oh, okay, maybe there is more to him, is when he insists on coming with her to fix the... Um, uh, the mess that Ralph has made, mm. which makes her realize that I think with with her the the breaking of the type then you could argue is to do with her eyes opening to the different aspects of the video game worlds and herself that she can make use of.
3: Did anyone else feel like her deceased fiance character, the video game Everyman hero guy, should have been voiced by Nolan North? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: yeah.
4: Totally. The she-
3: deepest cut of all. Yeah,
0: the film strays into a little bit of like it's not exactly troublesome, uh, but th- there's a trope which um, pop culture detective has uh, pointed out, and he's a guy we've been watching uh, a lot of recently. There are times that I'm like, oh no, no, that's that's like reaching a bit far or ignoring something that's kind of important about the the text that you're going into. But by and large, I do agree with him, even and especially when what he says challenges me. So, for example, the predatory romance of Harrison Ford made me feel really creeped out for specifically the way Indiana Jones treats women. Because, you know, I, I knew Deckard was a pig, and I think there are the various ways that Han Solo redeems himself, especially in um, The Force Awakens, for his more piggish uh, behaviour in the earlier Star Wars films. But Indiana Jones, not a lot of art to that guy, and uh, there, there are times. However, one of the... Um Uh, videos that he did was on the idea of persistence being pushed in movies that if a woman rejects you you just persist and eventually she'll say yes it feels almost like felix being rejected by calhoun he does end up like he goes and he helps her and that's fine but there's a there's a little bit of a, a, a sense that if she can't appreciate his finer qualities he and you know she rejects him once he needs to present those qualities to her again until she realizes it it's It's the fact that they end up together they end up married. the idea that if if someone rejects you, you could end up married to them. just persist and I feel like the way Felix comports himself throughout the film actually defies that, but there is still that annoying problem of persistence leading to marriage.
4: I think what you're, I I get what you're driving at, but... I think you're focusing a little bit too much on the fact that they end up together. You have to look at how. He does not win her. She is not a reward. He's not been doing all the things he's been doing to impress her. Mm. It's not all of his focus is not on, I want this woman. I must have this woman. I will persist in showing her what a nice guy, TM, I yeah. am, so that she will be impressed by me and and accept me. He's He's just doing what he's got to do. Yeah. She is won around by that, but that's about her. That's not about him.
0: It feels like uh, it it required maybe her to have a little bit more of a change of heart and decide, oh, no, because then like you're stuck in a trap where it's like, well, his persistence, even if she rejected him the first time, did eventually pay off. The the persistence is not of his pursuit for her. I, I don't think he's pursuing
3: her actively at any point. The persistence is in his character. Like, he is... And like, cannot help being the, the most genuine, sweetheart, little fellow that he is. Like he, he, if he observes and sees, like, wow, you're amazing. He's going to come out and say it because he's sincere and genuine and sees no reason not to be. She comes from a world where all of that is stuffed behind the swagger of, like, all right, Marines, get your ass out there. Do not act weak. I see you acting weak back there. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Whereas he is exactly the sort of guy that, like would like have to get whipped up into shape in like her regiment or whatever, Mm. but he doesn't have to, and he can't. And at first she kind of finds that tiresome or annoying, or he's just like, eh, civilians. But eventually, like once she's out of that environment where she has to be barbed wire around the heart all the time, long enough. And she's just keeps being just sort of exposed to his character as him being who he is and him being polite and sweet, even if it is sort of almost like cloyingly. So at times, Mm. I think she is allows herself to soften a little bit enough to where she is willing to let herself appreciate that this guy's all right. He's he's a this is a charming little character who's very sincere and kind.
4: But it is a natural byproduct of him being genuine um, and and just going and being the good guy that he is. Mm. It's not through him relentlessly trying to prove to her how genuinely good he is, because that wouldn't be genuine, because he'd be doing it for ulterior motives, and
0: he's not. I think I've got my finger on what the problem is. It's not specifically his persistence being pushed that that, that is the problem. It's the marriage. It's the wedding at the end. Because it's so tied up with her tragic backstory, which is a lazy... Uh, trope of her husband was killed at the altar which is usually that's a flip on like because she's the the hard man whose wife was killed uh, by gangsters at the altar only they gender flipped it so there's that lazy writing but they gender flipped it so it's a little bit more sparky than that that the that to undo that is to marry a guy and make and not and and have him not die.
4: Yeah, exactly. She's rewriting her own backstory. Yeah. that is exactly yeah. how you fix it. I, just, so I think um,
0: it's fair to point out, like
3: it's 2018 or whatever year this movie came. It's 2012. Like the movie doesn't have to have a wedding at the end, and, and I think that's something that Disney has pretty much well learned. Like even with Tangled, they were sort of subverting the gag. Like after count, like after asking everyone. over and over and over and over, I finally said yes. Like they're playing on their. They're willing to subvert their old tropes already a little bit, and they're about to start subverting tropes at a at an alarming rate in the next film.
0: Though we do get but to uh, see that wedding in Tangled ever after the shorts with the uh, yeah. slapstick and the horse. And it. It's a it's a fun bit. Ah, it'd be interesting to, to look through and then, like all of the ones which are um, Pixar style don't necessarily have to have a wedding because like from from that point onwards they they didn't, and like all of Disney's animal ones didn't necessarily have to have a wedding, but they're more. Princessy ones, the more fantastical ones, did tend to have something like that at the end. Mm. At the very least, a dance. Like it's not really a wedding in Beauty and the Beast, but it's a dance. Yeah.
4: But I think yeah. I think with Calhoun, the the having the wedding allows the character to embrace that feminine side yeah. that she's been programmed to aggressively cover. <laughs>
0: the She's aggressively covering a giant cannon under her wedding dress during the original wedding. I <laughs> you
4: know.
0: Nice. I know. No, no, I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just like, you know, she's aggressively covering the feminine side and underneath the feminine side is another masculine side.
4: Her <laughs> enormous boobs are also aggressively covered with yeah. her body armour. <laughs>
0: I'm going to leave this in because it is worth talking about how that that the, the you know weddings get pushed and I think we I'm going to return to this one later. I I, I would like to say that being married is fantastic. There is a lot <laughs>
4: Say that I'm sitting right next to you. There is,
0: there is a lot of societal push on, you know, you must have the perfect weddings. Obviously, specifically on women. Um, with men, it tends to be the push of you've got to give the woman what she wants regarding this. And I think that's maybe what I've uh, uh, got more of a problem with, the idea of, of, of it, it has to be this lavish, perfect thing, which obviously isn't the point at all of this one in Wreck-It Ralph. But it's the pushing of the fantastical wedding. It's all part and parcel of what girls have been fed for year after year, after decade, after century, after millennia. Yeah,
4: But I think that it's it's fair to say that one of the, um, the fairly subtle elements of Wreck-It Ralph is that there's a difference between examining what you've been programmed with and what you've been fed your whole life and told you have to be and working out which of those elements really are you and which aren't and reactionarily rejecting all of it just because it's what someone's told you to do. So you do the the kick out thing of, right, I must do the exact opposite of what everybody's told me to do, which is just another form of being programmed.
0: I will say that our wedding was fantastic, and I loved it. It was exhausting. I wouldn't want to. T- I would probably change it and spend less money. But, um, but I, oh,
4: and our wedding was cheap compared to yeah, most. Our wedding, we were was thrifty,
0: cheap. Um, and we made every pound work for that thing. It was an outside Lord of the Rings affair. Um, but the I, I've had better. Days. Like, you know, it's supposed to be the best of your life. I've had better days when we just like went to see Guardians of the Galaxy for the first time at the cinema and then had a really nice hamburger it was better than the wedding and that cost like fifty quid. <laughs> <laughs> so, um...
1: the,
0: the marriage is amazing. Weddings are
3: overrated. And anybody who's counting on that day being the most important one in their life really need like they'll <laughs> they're gonna have a lot better days than that. So just yeah. like I, I always urge people like do your best to like this day will blur by. Do your best to remember it, like and enjoy it. But like you're the, it's going to be way better once this is over. I
0: promise. <laughs> yeah. Now we've dwelt on this for way too long, but it is kind of an important, deep thing worth talking about. Okay, yeah. so how does Vanelope see herself? What's your
1: name? Uh, Ralph. Wreck-It Ralph. You're not from here, are you? No.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I mean not from right in this area. I'm just doing some work here. What kind of work? There's Some routine candy tree trimming. Uh, you probably want to stand back. In fact, this whole area is technically closed while we're trimming. Who's we? Candy tree department.
1: Uh, where is everybody else?
2: Oh, uh, it's just me today. Uh, so
1: you just met like the royal we?
2: Yup, that's right.
1: Hey, are you a hobo?
2: No, I'm not a hobo, but I am busy. Okay, so you go go home.
1: What's that? didn't hear you. Your breath is so bad it made my ears numb. Listen, I
2: try to be nice. You're
1: mimicking me.
2: You're mimicking me.
1: me.
2: Okay. That That is rude, and this conversation is over.
1: Uh, I wouldn't grab that branch if I were you. I'm from the
2: candy tree department, so I know
1: it's a double strike.
3: She seems to have been thought of as the glitch in this game for so long that she has internalized a lot of it
4: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh yes
3: but obviously everyone's memories are locked away including her own I, Like she, she does not seem to remember that she was a princess at any point she's as surprised as anyone at the end but uh, she has like I don't know I wonder how long she has been a glitch in this game I wonder how long ago Turbo showed up and uh, and overwrote things this seems to be a long standing uh, long standing trend in that game world
4: well it's certainly long enough that the the presence of her on the video game cabinet but not as a playable character in the game doesn't strike anybody as odd
0: hmm. Okay, there was a um, there's a throwaway line she uh, uh, has in this, which I don't even know whether they really wanted to attach too much weight to it. Um, It almost seemed like something that uh, Sarah Silverman ad libbed on on the day when she takes Ralph back to the home that she's improvised inside a mountain. uh, You know, I like to wrap myself in these candy wrappers like a little homeless lady. And it's a lovely bit of character, but it's like, no, you are a little homeless lady. You're a child who's been abandoned. And the fact that she doesn't seem to realize that about herself is tragic. And when she first meets Ralph, she says, Are you a hobo? in a kind of like it sounds like an insult, but it's almost like a are you a hobo like me? A wandering child with a bindle. Oh, from reading a comic book called The Big Rock Candy Mountain, by the way, I learned the hobo hierarchy. Hobos have no home and travel but look for work. Tramps travel but don't look for work, and bums don't travel and don't look for work, and hobos have nothing but distaste for bums. So Vanellope has taken on on board the whole outcast thing, and she's made it part of her hard candy armour, but deep down there's this sense of rejection, which she almost, like cheerily bites through whenever she feels it again, whenever she meets those shithead other sweet kids she's like, you know, happy to see them rather than, oh, you guys she should be, oh, you guys, but no she's like, oh hey, how's it going she seems to want to be their friend to want to be accepted
4: if Ralph is the the child self that rebels that says, you gave me this framework that's not good enough, I'm going to punch my way out of it Vanellope is the child who says, uh, who adapts herself to the restrictions that are placed on her. And that that core self that she has is still there. There are little glimpses of who she really is throughout the film. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of moments that, again, I don't know if they were intentional, but her remark about the royal we um and um there's something else that she says later on that i can't remember off the top of my head at the moment but um again it's the uh, the idea that that she knows who she really is deep down she just doesn't get to to manifest it much um but she does the best she can with what she's got. She's still got this self actualizing tendency, this determination to grow. The fact that she builds her own car mm. that looks a mess and doesn't work, but doesn't matter. It's hers. She made it.
0: And it's pedal powered. All these other kids have got some sort of unseen candy engine. They're driving yeah. around the place. She is prepared to put in the work and Absolutely. pedal her way and around the track, her way around coming the track. Uh, embarrassing last just to be able to just compete. to be
4: able to do it. And the, and when they destroy it, it breaks her heart because she's put so much of herself into this. When she gets the uh, the opportunity to actually go into the bakery and with Ralph's help make a real car, it's a mess. But she loves it because it's hers. And this, the, it, again, it's this sort of expression of how her internal drive, no matter how much she's been cut away from everything that, that is her true, her true uh, birthright, for want of a better word, what he can't do, what the, the Candy King cannot do, is get rid of her. He was intending, when he separated her from the rest of the code, he was intending to get rid of her completely, but he couldn't. And that's why he had to cut off the memories of everybody else in town.
0: <laughs> Do not, my friends, become addicted to candy. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay. Something. So, this is just so unimportant, but something I only realized this time watching it and only after having worked in games for a few years is that the code network of sugar rush that he goes into that the king swims into Mm -hmm. is visual scripting it's a state machine it's like (laughs) it's like if you go into unreal engine 4 and open up just their blueprint visual like their way of visualizing how code connect like works that's based that spaghetti is basically exactly what it looks like which i found much funnier this time now that i get it it's the best possible way to visually present game code like that's literally why visual scripting exists
0: I'm going to go into the deep, dark chocolate here uh, on this one, because this film has become shockingly relevant in the past few years. Okay, gear up, folks. Vanellope von Schweetz and the entirety of Sugar Rush are the victims of Turbo, the Candy King. His interference, his sabotage, his defamation of a more-than-qualified female leader, his corruption and his gaslighting of a whole country, obscuring history, denying facts, recreating his own reality, just so that he, the Candy King, could be the most important person in the world. And even once he's gone, you have to live with the fact that a great deal of the population are spite-filled morons who destroy everything that you, Vanellope, create just to see the crestfallen look on your face. I'm not going to talk about the trailer for Wreck-It Ralph 2. I will talk about one line. When the Disney princesses are asking her, do you have magic hands, magic hair? One of them says, were you cursed? yes. Yes, she was. She says no, but what do you? This is the digital version of cursing. The Candy King cursed her out of existence, at least as far as he could get her.
4: It's certainly on a parallel with go to sleep for a hundred years. Go sleep.
0: Go sleep. Go sleep. Yeah, this uh, this is the the, the rotten core uh, that uh, Wreck It Ralph uh, actually has down there. It's um the 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 whole land could be twisted in this way, and. The uneasiness that it's not like everyone was altered by him. He just had to kind of guide them towards being jerks. And he had to allow them to do that, to keep her out. You know, he, you know it's, it's not difficult for him once he's in power. And it, it hurts to, to watch that happen. It's, an, it's one of a newer kind of film that we are hopefully going to be seeing a lot more of, whereby a talented female tries hard and is rebuked and rebutted and constrained and ridiculed and denied progress. This has its roots in pathetic men who are threatened by her, but it manifests itself as other women assisting in her restraints so that they can stay as much on top as the male-run system will allow them to be, where other men who could help do nothing – and where the guy who eventually does help her is happy playing a support role. This is what we need to do, guys. Just support. Just be helpful. Like, I've, I've seen people say, well, how do you do this? How do you just... It's... Crucially, if our help is not needed, just... Take that information and don't viciously counterattack. I don't think I really need to say this to any of our male listeners. I think, by and large, we have a wonderful crowd. Uh, and and I, I don't want to sound patronising in this. This is what this kind of film is suggesting. Guys can just play support. It's fine to do that. So many self-labelled nice guys get really f***ing nasty if their help or support or compliment and, yes, their advances are turned down. See, Ralph just starts out wanting for it to be about him. And in the context we're presented with, it's never about him. And that's entirely understandable. At the beginning of Act 3, he sabotages Vanellope's chances for what he believes to be altruistic reasons. That's when the Candy King says, you've got to stop her racing. She'll she'll die. The whole thing will... Be destroyed. That's
4: false concern. Watch for that one.
0: Yeah. Ralph does that for what he believes is, is the right reasons, but this is restriction mistaken for support. And then Felix gets romantically rejected, and it takes him a lot of effort and persuasion from Ralph to do the right thing and support that woman, even though he's hurting. That's admirable on Felix's part. He, he doesn't. I don't think he really chases her because he believes he can win her back. No. He just no. does it's it because he cares that, okay. about he's her. He's
4: doing it because people need. Fixing yeah. and rescuing, and that's what he does. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so yeah, let's talk about that. This is, you know, the, the, there is a, a rot of toxic masculinity under the surface on this, and it is very appropriate for our era that this film is out there.
4: As far as the, I'm, I'm going to skip straight to the the fixing part. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the key for me is in the fact that Ralph is orange with a little bit of green and Vanellope is green with a little bit of orange this is what I mean about the the, the central characters being these aspects that you become a whole person by integrating all of and you can look at it from the, um, uh, from the, the qualities that they exhibit that are coded masculine coded feminine the, the internal qualities that they repress that eventually are able to come out and express themselves um, but essentially, for me, it's about Ralph being this tantrum-y boy child. And Did Vanellope, you enjoy your
0: tantrum diaper baby? Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and, and Vanellope being this sort of struggling to fit in girl and Calhoun and Felix being more adult versions of those but The other way round in that Felix is more of the the nurturing, helping parent and Calhoun is the critical, protective but restrictive parent, which oftentimes those are the masculine and feminine uh, reversed the other way round. But it's the all of those things coming together that enables them to be able to adapt to their circumstances. And I think that's the the essence of it. No one approach is going to work for every situation. You have to be able to pick and choose from all of these different qualities. And I think this is this is where this whole idea of um, well, I know a lot of people get very stressed out when people use the term toxic masculinity because they think that what we mean is that masculinity is in and of itself itself toxic, toxic, which is not true. That's not what it means at all. But there are elements of it, and very specifically when people say these are the only elements of masculinity that you are allowed to express and you must crush and repress all of these others. And that's the toxic part. It's not the the qualities themselves, it's the you must feel this, you must not feel this, and we will control how you are allowed to express Little these
0: Little boy things. crying, only girls crying. Absolutely. Cry. Or you're a big girl's blouse, you're a gay.
4: And when it comes down to it, all it's for. I don't think in, in these modern times, I don't think people even know why they're doing it. It is so that you can take boys away from their mothers and send them to war. That is what underpins this whole thing. Are we not fucking past this yet? No. breathe um so to the the counter of that is not necessarily i know i jokingly said earlier that the way you overcome it is to get in touch with your feminine side but essentially the the way that you overcome it is to free up those restrictions never mind you must not feel this never mind you must feel this you can feel whatever you want to feel you you've Feelings are feelings, and you should be allowed to feel them. And now I sound like Anakin Skywalker, and that's ridiculous.
0: <laughs> I wish that I could just, <laughs> just wish away, away my, my feelings, feelings, but I can't. But I
4: can't. But no, the the to, if you want to work past a, a, a masculinity which is restrictive and controlling and aggressive and harmful and hurtful to yourself and other people, it's a it's. It's hard. It's it's like saying to an anxious person, ah, just stop worrying. Why do you worry so much? I know it's not anywhere near as straightforward as I'm making it sound, but every feeling that you have is is allowed and genuine. And you never know, after you let yourself feel them for a little while, they might start to fade away because I, sh- I know sure as shit that the more you repress them, the louder they will get. And that's where the harm comes from all of those feelings desperately trying to get out
3: every feeling's worth like addressing acknowledging and understanding
4: absolutely and then if you if you never need to go back to that feeling again that's fine you can go and work on another one and if if you find out that that feeling is actually a really important part of who you are then look for ways to express it more in your everyday life
0: How does how does uh, what we learn from Wreck It Ralph translate to 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 what we could apply that to in our own real real lives? Because ultimately, the, the useful stories are ones which they're they're analogous to us, even in mundane everyday situations. It,
3: I don't think that. I guess it's a bit of a chicken and an egg thing, but like when I see animated films doing stuff like this, uh I feel like it is our media finally reflecting back to us the kinds of lessons and scenarios that we that we are culturally feeling culturally feeling we need to be able to address. I like it's a tiny thing, but it gives me a lot of hope the fact that in the last 2-3 months we've seen two trailers for animated family films that call out the fact that it's weird that these capable female characters are getting sidelined by an Oafish male one. Yeah. Like that like it's calling out a trope and a trend and being a little subversive, which has been a thing that's been going on in this medium for a long time, but that they're specifically calling that out as a gag to where and pointing out that's a joke and is silly is it's a tiny thing and it's a tiny baby step and it's something people have been saying forever, but it's like that it's getting acknowledged in a trailer for these things. That's going to be, that's trying to sell the movie. That's a sign of a trend to me. And it's, it's exciting to see it for the same reason that seeing something like, seeing something like Steven universe out there and as like arguably kids media and the lessons of like, Emotional maturity that a show like that is teaching and and attempting to teach, which are so much more multifaceted and rounded out and mature that like I am learning emotional maturity from kids media like that. Hmm. And the fact that we are reaching that sort of point and that our media is reflecting those lessons back at us and we're addressing the kinds of problems that we maybe should have been trying to address for a very long time. I don't know if I'm really answering your question, but that gives me a whole lot of optimism.
0: No, you're uh, what you answered it by doing is suggesting that uh, that this being not just a trend, but a a direction in the movement.
1: Scratch that. This is not a moment. It's the movement.
0: That uh, um, we couldn't really have talked about this in 2005 or with Chicken Little. (laughs) (laughs) that wasn't happening then but it's most definitely happening now and um as, as shit as the world is our stories are not by and large reflective of the defeatist worldview that's out there in the news like everything's buggered and we can't do anything about it it's that all of these films are saying No, no, it is worth fighting. It is worth pushing forwards. And it doesn't necessarily need to be fought with violence. You can simply just not give up on supporting people. And uh, I mean, ultimately, the the end of this movie, uh, you know, it's just about being a stand-up guy and and supporting a, a woman who's having a shit time of things. You know, Ralph's shoved back into his old job, but he's happy enough uh, not because of his own success, but because of Vanellope's mm. and that he helped her to get there. It's not about you, which is just a wonderful line for the best part of Doctor Strange. Mm. Um, may yeah. as well be the mantra for the next, hopefully, 10-plus years of film yeah. directed at girls and boys, but a very strong message to be sent to men.
4: I think the the essence of that as well is the is Ralph does realise what his own significance is, but he doesn't overrealize what his own significance is, and it is set in deliberate contrast against Turbo, who was so obsessed with how important and how central he needed to be that he messed up other people's games just to have people looking at him and paying attention to him. Arrogance and fear still keep you from learning the simplest and most significant lesson of all. Which is? It's not about
1: you. Oh, look at that, it's your little friend. Let's watch her die together, shall we? No! <laughs> it's game over for both of you.
2: No. Just for me.
1: <gasps> Row. Vanellope! You will
2: never win. I'm bad! No good but i could lose i will never be good and that's not bad again again there's no one i'd rather be and again and again forever than me
4: There's there's two things as well that I would just like to add um, in closing for me um, that I absolutely love about this. And one is Vanellope's line, uh, I'm already a real racer. Because mm. fuck imposter syndrome, frankly. <laughs> 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 um, yes, she's doing it. She's in that car. She is already a real racer. And I thought that was fantastic. Um, and the other thing is, and this is why I definitely couldn't have talked about it in this context in 2000 and whenever. Twelve, um, but uh, when Ralph decides to sacrifice himself by embracing who he is and um, and wrecking the volcano in order to create the beacon and save everybody, it's Vanelope who embraces herself, her glitch, and uses that to save him, and this is how we win by saving what we love. And she does exactly the same thing as Rose does. She prevents his self-sacrifice because the intention of doing it is enough.
0: Hmm. And that she turns out to be a princess is almost a by-the-by. It was a wonderful reveal. She was confident that she was herself before she was given it. And then she jumps sideways out of it and just sheds it. Uh, her being a princess is almost like, oh, yeah, I'm this as well. But it's one facet of her rather than who she is defined as, which I love.
1: I remember she's our princess. Oh, that's right. We are so sorry about the way we treated you. Yeah, yeah those were those jokes. No, i was just doing what Taffin told me. t as your merciful princess, I hereby decree that everyone who was ever mean to me shall be executed. What? what? No, 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 please, please. Oh, my man. Oh, this place just got interesting. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to die. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You are... Stop crying, taffeta. I'm trying, but it won't stop.
0: And the last thing is, there was actually a, a middle section to the film that was cut out. Do you remember it, uh, Dan? The, a different I did game. Remember
3: reading about this, yeah. Like at a certain point, they were thinking they were going to take the uh, story to a a different setting that was sort of a hybrid between like The Sims and sort of just a sandbox do anything city like a Grand Theft Auto.
0: Yeah. So and, like a, uh, yeah,
1: yeah,
3: which would have been interesting. I like. I could see. It sounded like they were trying really hard to figure out a way to make it work, and then they realized that like we're trying really hard to make this work for no
0: other reason than to do it. Maybe let's just not do it. I think uh, they were presenting it as a type of game which is... Very rewarding just to play. Uh, so uh, the, the kind of the Skinner box thing that you you've talked about in the past, where well Ralph just goes in and everyone slaps him on the back and gives him trophies just for being there, and everyone's <clears> interested in likes and, and upvotes and just like it's, there's a sense of uh, falseness and like shoveling down your throat exactly what you want all the time is actually bad for you, and uh, it, it also they could have like honed in on the, the shallow vapid side of. Um, a lot of very uh, purposefully gratifying games. And the reason I mention this at the end is because I suspect there'll be a bit of that in, uh, uh, Ralph breaks the internet. Something along those so. lines. Yeah. It's a good opportunity for that theme to come back, but from the sounds of it, it would have actually featured in the narrative somewhere in the end of act two, like he would have got the medal after trashing Vanellope's car. So maybe beginning of act three and gone there instead of going back to his apartment and finding it empty and then it just, he's ruined everything. So it would have been a slightly different down moment uh, for him uh, or, or, or something else, maybe just uh, just a different game world. But if not for no other reason than to, to, to kind of force him up into this game would have required him to go Wi-Fi for a start. So that requires all kinds of like explanation for why Ralph has suddenly beamed himself into the smartphone of Mr. Lipwack or something like that. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad they didn't go with that. And, and as we mentioned earlier, that the, the staying with the Candyland aesthetic does mean that we get a stronger story from beginning to end.
3: It surprises me that this made less than Tangled did. A
0: yeah, you'd bit. think it would have appealed to more boys and, and thus um, like wider audiences.
3: Yeah, I'd have thought so. But I mean, it was still very successful. I just I'm yeah. surprised that Tangled's returns were higher. I wonder how uh, this is going to.
0: How will this movie age? Well, they benefited from looking back more than they looked current.
4: I was just going to say by by playing the nostalgia by um, making it about something that's already old. Yeah. In that world. Yes. Um, they they did. I mean, it's it. It has aged a bit because Heroes' Duty is supposed to be like the cutting edge of the, of the <laughs> video games. Know, and we've no.
0: now got so many Halos and Call of Duty <laughs> that we're looking back on the earlier parts like of the series, like they're
4: vintage classics. And you'd have one tapper in the corner. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they, they are building on it by mm. doing Ralph Rex the Internet.
3: And the fact that they are focused on original characters tel- having their own little story going on and they're not – they there are lots of little references and gags in there, but they're not stopping everything for them. So they're not – they're just – they're fun window dressing for you to catch if you recognize it. But it's not yeah. a thing like – it's not a thing like Hercules where you've got some side character god who shows up who you feel like I should know who that is, I guess. <laughs> or like, hey – Sick Michael Jordan reference all <laughs> oh, like
0: good. <laughs> nice. Uh, they they uh, they do run the risk a little bit of making things uh, too trendy with Wreck It Ralph. too uh, again, I don't want to speculate on this too much. I will at least say one a fixed point rather than something we're speculating on in the Emoji movie when everything grinds to a mm-hmm. halt so they can have Candy Crush in there as a, a product placement and a hey kids, you know this everybody loves this. Like uh, that film dated before it was even released. Yeah.
3: No the fact that the trailer is so much that and shows nothing of what the actual story is actually gives me a good bit of hope that the hmm. like they're kind of getting all of they're putting all of that in the marketing and it's in the movie, but it is not nearly the focus that this trailer is suggesting it to be. One would hope.
0: One would hope. Yeah. Okay.
3: I like at this point I trust Disney to know to have an idea of what they're doing. <laughs> like they're they're on the longest hot streak Disney's ever had at this point, True. which is kind of wild
0: and a lot of that uh has to be attributed to the uh, the, the change of um team from uh the uh, mid 2000s to now yeah and uh it seems like it's going to get better with like you know, the, the with Pete Doctor and uh inside out lady what's her name Jennifer. Uh, uh, Jennifer <laughs> okay. Lee yeah she's the
4: frozen lady I've got he to go back the inside and out read man.
0: It. okay so yeah <laughs>
4: My God, this sounds like a horror movie. The Frozen Lady and the Inside
0: Out Man. So now with Pete Doctor and uh, Jennifer Lee, it feels like it's possible they could just extend this streak and just keep having it.
3: Inside Out Man and the Frozen Lady coming to the MCU in
2: 2021. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta say, the best part of my day is when I get thrown off the roof. Because when the nice landers lift me up, I get a perfect view of Sugar Rush, and I can see Vanellope racing. Yes! The kid's a natural, and the players love her, glitch and all, just like I knew they would. Turns out I don't need a medal to tell me I'm a good guy, because if that little kid likes me,
0: how bad can I be? School of Movies is funded by our loyal supporters on Patreon. And as you know, our $15 tier awesome dudes get sponsor credit every episode. So a major, major thank you to Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick. Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron LeCluze, David Garcia-Abril, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Chisham. Gold medals to all of you. You are all our secret hidden princesses, and you are never in another castle. Next week, we take a break from Disney, and we do our Halloween Spooktacular with Dracula. The Bram Stoker adaptation by Francis Ford Coppola from 1992. If you haven't seen it, see it and after that we start our late 2018 commissioned shows season which includes episodes on event horizon the warriors colossal the playstation 4 spider-man game the good place and we're also doing shows on creed war for the planet of the apes and the original mary poppins practically perfect in every way except we don't use the p word Oh, and if you'd like to hear a special episode with more than 100 minutes of chat from throughout these recent Disney shows that didn't make the final cut, you'll want to become one of our $5 supporters because one of the recent bonus downloads is called Extra Disney.
4: Hello, School of Movie students. This is Sharon Shaw. All of us, without exception, have two things in common. Number one, we all have something in our lives that we're not happy with, something that's bothered us repeatedly over the years and sometimes feels impossible to get past. It could be difficulty forming relationships. It could be a sense of feeling trapped in your job. It could be issues with your parents that just never seem to go away. And number two, all of us like to watch movies. Movies can help us process what's going on in our lives. Sometimes you'll watch one that just feels profound to you specifically. And we already know you're the kind of person who wants to dig deeper into that. Otherwise you wouldn't be listening to our show. But what if you could have some personal guidance in unlocking and examining why that movie means so much to you? It could be your all-time favourite or one you've just seen. It could be one you saw when you were tiny and it just stuck with you. I've been co-hosting this podcast for three years now guesting for many more before that and i've seen firsthand how our relationships to certain films can help us grow and work out who we are and who we want to be what i'm now offering is the opportunity to explore what's affecting you through the lens of a personalized focused movie therapy session by now you're familiar with our commission shows, where listeners can ask us to cover movies that Alex and I wouldn't necessarily choose to delve into. And this is your chance to have a private, customised version, a way to self-analyse using a film of your choice as a focus point. This might sound complicated, but here's how we're going to do it. You bring a movie that has strong significance to you personally, and I'll bring my experience of film analysis and my qualifications in person-centred counselling, English, drama and media. And it's going to be really easy to start this off. You get in contact with me at Sharon at MovieTherapy on That email is in the notes and we can discuss what film you have in mind and what aspect of your personal life you'd like to address. If that sounds good, I'll go away and watch your movie and then we'll be all set to talk about why it's important to you and how you could apply what you find in the film to your life, relationships and personal development. Just as with commission shows, my time and insight are what you're buying here. These one-off, hour-long sessions will run at $60 for the general public, but for this trial period I'm offering our patrons a reduced rate of $45. Now this is not going to fix your entire life, it would be ridiculous of me to suggest that, but what it can do is give you perspective on what's holding you back in a relatable way. Focus your intentions and give you a clearer view on the steps you can take to change things for the better. So that email address again is Sharon at movietherapy.onmicrosoft.com. Write to me with the movie you choose for your focus point. And we'll go from there.
0: So, uh, thank you very, very much to Daniel Floyd for coming on once again. This has been fantastic.
3: Thanks, as always, for having me.
0: And thank you very much, Sharon. So, we will see you next week. I've been Alex Shaw.
4: I've been Sharon Shaw.
0: And school's out.
4: Hey, you moved my stump. I'm going to wreck it. I can fix it. Can we do this again? Can I see you again? Switch on the sky
1: and the stars glow for you.